friends and fellow Buffy lovers, and welcome to our podcast, where we discuss each episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer in detail, focusing on digging deep into the themes, metaphors, and foreshadowing. I'm Leah. I'm Sarah. I'm Tabby. And this is Becoming Buffy. Welcome back to Becoming Buffy. Um, so I actually, someone DM'd us this week and told us that they didn't know that we were related until this last episode. And I Wait, realized- what? Yeah, I know. But I mean, it's obvious to us, but I realized that we never told anyone that we were sisters except for in the very beginning episode. Yeah, the, like the intro episode, we're like, we're sisters. Thought, yeah, so I feel like we kind of need to start off our podcast by saying, hello, everyone. We are related. <laughs> But, like, when we talk about, like, our family members or, like, our mom, like, we say, like, oh, mom, not, like, our mom. I don't think we have, though. We have, but not, have like, we? a ton. Um, but, yeah, we're sisters, and I'm very sorry for that oversight. I guess that's not, like, you know, relevant to listening to our podcast, but it probably does make things seem um, like they like they probably like connected a few dots knowing that we were sisters <laughs> yeah that's why we're all able to speak at the speed of light because we know where our minds are going <laughs> and we like jump over each other all the time i feel like if we were all friends i'd be a lot more Maybe cautious more about like interrupting <laughs> yeah but i just like bulldoze over some of you guys sometimes which i mean not the greatest thing to do but like it shows how comfortable you are around people if you could just do that without thinking about it Today we are on season two, episode 15, Phases, and this is our first semi-Oz-centric episode, which is very long coming. Like, I think it's really interesting that we finally have an episode that is centered around a separate couple other than Buffy and Angel, and it happens Mm -hmm. right in the big Buffy and Angelus arc, which is kind of like a nice little bit of a breather. But it also is a little jarring after Surprise and Innocence, like the emotional like toll of those episodes. And then to be like, oh, hey, what, what? Okay, I guess we're just kind of like, you know, pretending Angelus isn't around. Well, it's so funny because I I think I mentioned this every single episode, but like we're not watching, like we're not binging the show. Like we're watching episodes like one to two weeks spread out. And I forgot that we already knew about Angelus. And so, like, later on in this, this the episode when he shows up, I literally, like, my mind didn't process, like, oh, that's Angelus. So I was like, oh, Angel. Like, I was like, oh, cool. <laughs> and, I, and obviously, like, the one scene he's in, he's not acting like Angel. And so I was like, it took me, like, a minute to be like, oh, that's Angelus. Like, <laughs> You're like, where are we? What's going on in the episode? Yeah. Other than his creepy acting, when he pops up and doesn't say anything, I immediately knew it was Angelus because they put way more makeup yeah. on him to make him look more pale <laughs> as Angelus. They make him look way more moody. He comes out and he's like, why? Angelus always wears he's a lot like, of eyeliner. Yes. I mean, he looks hot, but, like, he definitely looks different. They also make him look more pale. I think it's because they want to emphasize the fact that he's a vampire, not, a, like, not like a quote-unquote human. He is, like, his life sucked out of him. <laughs> yes, but I think it's just more of, like, when they, at least when they do the makeup for Angel, you can tell they try to humanize him. So, like, in the beginning of the show, it was very much like they were... They'd make the vampires more pale. But I think that as the show went on, they were creating vampires that had more character. And so they wanted to make them look more human. Like, 
Spike and Angel look way more human because they're the people, they're the ones that even transition too. Like they transition out of their vamp, like vamp face and Drusilla as well. Um, yeah. Well, and I mean, the thing is, is that every actor you see on camera is wearing makeup of some sort. Like everybody is enhanced. Um, but yes, they definitely made Angel or Angelus look a lot paler. And I think it was to be like, he's evil now. He wears makeup <laughs> and he smokes, guys. Like don't smoke and wear makeup or else you might be a vampire. No, just kidding. <laughs> yeah. You know, they got a sponsored on oh, this they totally did. And in Buffy in general that was like, tell them not to smoke because I caught... Just in this episode, I think, like, one or two references to, like, not smoking. Really? Like, in the bronze? Like, someone mentioning not smoking. Oh, yeah. Willow did. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Willow mentions it, and I think there was another reference. I can't remember it. It it all came down to, hey, like, we want to keep our show running, so we're going to bend in some areas. And smoking is kind of something that everyone can get around together and be like okay yeah this isn't great for us but anyway okay let's jump into the episode because as always there's a lot to talk about and we don't want to keep everyone here for forever um all right so phases written by rob dis hotel and dean batali again and directed by bruce seth green aired january 27th 1998 um and rob and dean wrote never kill a boy on the first date puppet show and the dark age um, they are a writing team and were originally sitcom writers. They started out as writer's assistants on various shows, and they wrote spec scripts for The Simpsons as well as a few other shows. Um, but it was actually their scripts for a Nickelodeon show, of all things, that um, got the attention of Joss. It's The Adventures of Pete and Pete. I have never heard of it. Have you? I've heard of it, but I never watched it. Yeah. I mean, it's obviously an older show. It's probably well before your time, but... Yeah, so they explain a little bit of their story and script writing process inside the Watcher's Diaries. Um, And so I kind of wanted to read a little bit. I thought it'd be fun to share with you guys. So this is how they kind of come up with their ideas for the show. So initially they pitch Joss a bunch of ideas. Joss picks one or more from the batch, and then they go off and develop those. They said the secret to consistent excellence comes from sitting with both Joss and David Greenwald for hours and hours and trying to break the story out. In other words, they separate into beats and acts. Then the team goes back into their office to the whiteboard where they try to piece together everything and then they go back to Joss. They said the whole process usually lasts about a week or two. Their beat sheet usually consists of one line or so for each scene. After Joss approves that, they do an outline of around 10 pages. Rob says, for the most part, it's a lot of planning. It's one of the great things about this show is that it's planned in the story stage. We've been on plenty of shows where you're doing rewrites every day, all day, because you didn't have the story broken down in the first place. You just sort of had an idea and then fine to know when surprised the script doesn't work at all so then you have to go back and do what you should have done in the beginning so I think Joss is really really good at planning ahead knowing where he wants to go which I thought was really clever and I think pretty much every fan of Buffy probably knows this innately just by watching the show that Joss plans everything out and knows what he wants and so it requires a lot less rewriting and a lot less work on the writer's part because they don't have to go in and constantly be like fixing stuff and doing continuity checks and stuff because Joss already knew what he wanted um, out of the episode and the season in general which has probably got to be really rewarding as a writer. And a lot less tedious like I can't imagine what it would be like if you're like oh I have this whole script it's finally done and then you turn it in and then like 
you're spending the next however many days or weeks just fixing the little stuff that could have been fixed the first time if you knew what they wanted. Yeah, that would be so irritating. But it sounds like that's very, like that's something that happens a lot on other shows. Like it seems like the way that Joss did everything with knowing where he was going and having them like break it down in the beginning stages is something that's not normal, which I think is really sad because we can tell by how the show is run and like each of the episodes, the consistency and the quality that that clearly like is the better way to go. Like knowing where you want your characters to go. Um, so phases was Rob's favorite episode that they did. And the puppet show was Dean's. And for this episode, all Josh said to them was that it was going to be about werewolves and Oz was a werewolf. So they actually went to their whiteboard and came back with the suggestion of the bounty hunter and things like that to kind of spice up the episode. Um, They said once the idea is approved, the team does a first draft. They get notes back, then they rework the material into a second draft, and then usually the third and sometimes the fourth. From first to fourth drafts, it can change a lot. From there, story ideas will change. Things can move around. The monster can be different. The only person who really changes things at that point is Joss, mostly, although David does a little bit here and there. They said, we've done a rewrite of a script or two for other people, but normally it just goes from the writer to Joss. And even if we do a rewrite, Joss still takes it after that. So moving from pitch to complete the final draft of the team script is probably an eight-week process. That's just with one script. Oh my How gosh. do shows get done? Yeah. Well, I mean, they, that's what the writers are doing while they're shooting or they're off. You know, like the writers are just doing that, which means that Joss is a very, very busy man. <laughs> he's doing that. And he's also being like incredibly like involved with, you know, the final cuts of stuff. Like he watches them and he's also on set a lot. Yeah. That's a being a showrunner is a very tedious, long job. They said Getting the script, or they said getting the story down is, of course, always harder than the actual writing of the script. Turning around a script usually takes five or six days, but coming up with a story seems like it's a little bit more involved and a little harder. They said pitching stories to Joss can sometimes amount to a discovery process of Joss's long-term vision of the show. He has story arcs and stories that he wants to tell through this season and the next season and the next season. Occasionally, you do come up with a happy accident. Jenny Callender being a gypsy that just sort of fell in place perfectly at the perfect time in the perfect way, even though they hadn't planned for it. They said, so like we were saying, when we pitch to him, probably 30 to 40% of the ideas they pitch, something's already being done like that in a future episode, or he's got an arc plan that negates it. So sometimes we find ourselves pitching standalone type episodes like Puppet Show because they can't do arcs because he's already got it all figured out, which is crazy. That's insane. I mean, <sighs> I hate to give this foul man any credit, but like that... That's a crazy, crazy ability to be able to, like, look far into, like, that far into head and just be like, this is what I want. This is how I want it. And for it to just play out really, really, really nicely. Yeah, and I think it's okay to give Joss credit because he's still a good story writer and he still came up with the show and stuff. Um, Not to take away from that at all, you know. I think that with Joss, especially because he's a writer first and foremost... I think that's why Buffy excelled. So Joss was a writer, but then he was also able to direct. He was the showrunner. Like he had full control over this show, which as we see now is not always a good thing. 
Um, but it allowed for the show to really kind of hum along like a well-oiled machine, you know, because he knew exactly what he wanted and because he knew how to write things in a way that would translate well onto the screen. All right, so let's talk a little bit about werewolves and werewolf legends. I thought this was kind of funny. So um, Bite Me by Nikki Safford. She says, the werewolf legend first became popular in Europe, and between 1520 and 1630, it developed into mass hysteria. In France alone, there were over 30,000 wolf trials, which I did not know about. And she says, as it was the case with witch trials, many of the accused were poor peasants, which, you know, we know what happened there. But also, too, I thought that was interesting because we just talked about Jenny as the Calderash clan, how they came up with a lot of the witch and werewolf and vampire tropes like their telling of oral tradition and stories and stuff is how a lot of these, you know, things became myths and legends. And so I, it's kind of funny, like hearing about where it originated because it was, you know, the Calderash people probably. According to folklore, various signs suggest a person might be a werewolf if they have hairy palms or an extremely long index or middle finger. They sleep often because of the exhaustion brought on by their transformation, sleep with their mouth open because they can't unclench their jaws once closed. <laughs> Often have a pentagram somewhere. These are very uh specific. They're very specific, yes. They're like, you're a werewolf if you wake up in the middle of a full moon yeah. and you can't remember where you've been. And you're like, what the heck? It's like those, like, uh, in those commercials at the end, it's like, if you have all of these, like, different symptoms, you might have to go to a doctor. One thing I've always found interesting is because I've seen a lot of different movies and shows that have depicted, like, werewolves. Mm -hmm. Whether that's going all the way from, like, werewolves from like harry potter or werewolves from like doctor who or like from buffy twilight Teen wolf twilight yeah. uh vampire diary like literally so 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 many like and so i always find it interesting how they choose to depict them whether it be like more wolf-like more human-like you know kind of like what traits and attributes they choose to give them and it's just like I mean, this is bringing it back to Buffy, but I hate to crap on Buffy, but there's very few choices that they make where I'm like, ooh, I really would not have gone that route, but I really, really, really hate how they chose to depict werewolves. The costuming and everything is just so... it They look like Sasquatch. <laughs> yeah, but I'm pretty sure if they had them be CGI or normal dogs, you would hate it and crap on it too. Yeah. So I feel like... I guess there is I no I feel winning. like this is this is the better of the two. I feel like if they tried to do the CGI, I would absolutely hate yeah, it. Yeah, that's true. They, they said there's several ways to become a werewolf. Eating wolf or human flesh. Eating the brain of a wolf. Being bitten by a wolf or werewolf. This is my favorite. Being born on Christmas. <laughs> what? The, how does that <laughs> so The funny. fact that it goes from eating a werewolf, a, a wolf's brain, just because, just eating a wolf's brain... To just being born on Christmas, yeah. like that's like. Could you imagine? It's like two werewolves, and he's like, "So, how did you end up?" And he's like, "Oh, I ate a wolf's brain." The other guy's like, "I was just born on Christmas, dude." <laughs> Somewhere the the Grinch is smiling. He's like, "That's <laughs> yeah." He's like, "Ha." Anyway, um, but yeah, in folklore, it's interesting too because it's believed that a werewolf becomes a vampire after it dies. So, as we can see, a lot of these things were not carried over to Buffy. Like, obviously. 
Uh, well, I mean, we don't know if a werewolf becomes a vampire after it dies, but from the lore that we know of in Buffy, that doesn't seem possible. We also know that, you know, there is not three full moons in a month, that there isn't like the first before the moon and then, or before the full moon and then after the full moon, there's only one. So I just, I, I, it's interesting to see what Buffy kind of takes from the lore and decides to make into its own thing. And I think it's, it's an interesting detail that they decide not to have Oz remember being a werewolf. Um, because I think if he did, it would make him too much like a vampire that kind of like knows what they're doing or even like angel having like the soul and the conscience and stuff. Yeah. I have a question. So I'm a bit confused <laughs> about the theme of this episode. <laughs> Well, because, like, it, it gives me huge, like, oh, all men are animals and, like, sexist stuff. And, like, uh, I don't want to give anything away. There's an episode that's kind of like mm-hmm. this. And I prefer that mm-hmm. one, the way they do it. Um, But I, I was watching it and I was like, if that's what they're doing, and I think that's what they're doing, they, they kind of geared more towards the sexism mm-hmm. in this episode rather than the other one i'm not, I'm not gonna talk about the other one too much but um but like are they kind of showing that like oz is like different than the other animal men because he didn't he doesn't mean to he doesn't remember and what does that really mean yeah no those are good questions so as with any other episode or just when it comes to metaphor in general at some point the metaphor breaks down it's just a matter of how yeah. well your metaphor holds up through what you're trying to tell. So phases, the metaphor for the episode is basically men and their secret lives and how men often repress their emotions because they're not deemed masculine or manly. Mm. Um, And then on the flip side, because of that, girls are often left feeling the emotional burden of guessing what men want. Oh, okay. That's better than what I had imagined it to be. That makes more sense. But unfortunately, again, the metaphor breaks down. They do have some instances where they're not very clear on where they're going with this because there's times where it's like, okay, do all teenage boys go through a misogynistic phase or is it just in their nature? Because, you know, the thing is, is because then it's also kind of a, a sexist thing to be like every single guy. Exactly. And mm-hmm. so it's like it it breaks oh. down. But then they make that excuse for us though, cuz it's like, oh, he went through it but he had no choice to, but he didn't mean to. So I'm like, well then is that every guy then? Is every guy go through it but they don't mean to? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like it the yeah. the metaphor and doesn't really somehow, add up. Is that somehow excusable if they don't know? Right. Right, because they could do crappy things like he thought he killed someone, he didn't, but if he had, he didn't mean to. So it's like, well, then where does your metaphor add up to real life? If a guy does a crappy thing but doesn't mean to, is he excused for that? Yeah, yeah, or excused, yeah. Right, and I don't think they're trying to say that simply because there's, up until now, there's been a very clear difference between Oz and pretty much every other guy. And in this one, too, you see Oz intentionally not leering after girls and including himself into Larry's whole misogynistic thing um, or even Xander. And so I think they are trying to show that here's the person who actually has the animalistic tendencies inside of him. And he has more self-control than these teenage boys who don't. And so I think they are trying to show that. But also the reason why he doesn't talk about it is not because he's misogynistic. It's because he's trying not to hurt Willow and other people around him. So I think there's a clear difference between him and the other guys. Yeah, but we've seen Oz 
episodes now, like even I think back in the Halloween episode where I don't even remember, is it Devin, whoever Cordelia's boyfriend is at the time, who's in the band with him, is all like talking about Cordelia's body and Xander, or it's not Xander, not definitely not Xander, Oz is not even paying attention and it refuses to encourage that kind of behavior. So we've seen like a pattern of Oz being very opposite. So again, metaphor doesn't like what they're telling us or no, sorry, what they're showing us isn't quite lining up to what they're telling us, um, which makes this whole thing kind of blurry. But yeah, so the episode focuses on men and their sex lives. um, And it says how men, both gay and straight, often overcorrect and treat women as pieces of meat because that is what they think being a man is. Um, And I wrote misogyny hurts both men and women. And we can see that in this episode. And I think this is something that I really struggle with this episode is I think that like it is good to call it misogyny. Absolutely. But I think this episode sometimes overcorrects to the point where it becomes man bashing. I want to make sure that we're not like going like so far on the other end to where we lose sight of that. Like I want to be balanced as much as possible and not say like, Hey, like bashing either sex is never productive and it's never helpful. You know what I mean? I think it's more of just like the metaphor itself got so lost in translation. Like don't get me wrong. I think that this episode is very enjoyable, but you know, Buffy does have a standard as far as like metaphors and stuff. And so I think that the fact that it was just a little bit too, they had an idea that just wasn't executed very well, I guess. Um, I don't know. It just, like, because, like, I, you could even talk about, like, the pack. Because I feel like the pack kind of has mm-hmm. a similar, like, feel of, like, a... And he boys, mentions it in this yeah, episode. boys are kind of, like, stupid type of thing. But it's done better, which is ironic. But the metaphor in the pack is done better because it's talking about the group mentality mm-hmm. of boys, not just like every single boy is a douchebag, you know? Yeah. And so it's like, there is a bit of a difference. Yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. And I'm excited to like kind of get in and talk about it a little bit more um, real fast before we do. Um, I wanted to talk about Seth Green for a second, what he has to say about his role as Oz. He says that Oz is defined by a few specific moments, one of which is the car scene with Willow from Innocence. He said that right away you get the impression that Oz knows what is going on. He pays attention not only to what people are doing to him, but to what people are doing to each other. He just takes things as they come and recognizes them for what they are. So while I would love to explore the more emotional side of him, I think it is going to necessitate a huge and very powerful catalyst to even break through that. It's the werewolf thing. The way that it is family has reacted to the whole thing too because no one else seemed too upset about their kid being a werewolf he has been conditioned in one way or another and while there's a little bit of an emotional reaction it is pretty internal it is so much more cerebral than that he's like well all right how am i going to deal with that and so i think that right there kind of gives you a clue on what this episode is trying to tell you is the underlying theme is the whole idea of like a guy being like a secret men in their secret lives and how they often repress their emotions because, you know, they have either not been taught to embrace their emotions or they don't see it manly or masculine. And, um, and so because Oz is so in his head, I think there is less of, he's less in touch with his emotional side. And so I think it's going to take a lot for you to see him actually come out of that part of like come out of his shell and stuff. Um, so I think this is actually kind of a good episode for him when it comes to that. I never picked that up with this phone call with his family because he's talking to like what mm-hmm. his aunt and she's just like, yeah, like, you know, Jordy got bit and he's like, oh, okay. 
it's like not like a whole like, oh, shoot, you're a, vamp- or a werewolf too. Let's talk about it. Like your life is going to change. Like here's some advice because I've observed this in my four-year-old son, you know, things like that where it's like I've never thought about that before. I mean, you kind of assume or it kind of gets like, you know, blown under the radar or whatever because Oz is like that. So when someone else acts that way around Oz, it seems normal. But if someone acted that way around Xander or around other people, I'd notice it a lot more. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting, too, because, you know, his aunt could have called his mom, who could have been like, hey, son, let's walk through these changes. Because it's another metaphor for, like, growing up and having parents maybe walk through Mm -hmm. things with you. But if that's not happening, then, of course, he's going to kind of shut down and have to figure things out on his own. And who knows, maybe Jordy was born on Christmas. (laughs) I know. I wondered that. I was like, how how old is this cousin? Because, I mean, he bit him on the finger. Yeah, he's got to be like like really little. Or six or something like that. Exactly. Maybe his dad is a werewolf. Oh, yeah. I don't know. I guess we'll find out. So maybe that's why the aunt is so desensitized to it. She's like, ah, you too. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Could you imagine how stressful would life be having a tiny werewolf child that you have to like chain up? And make oh, sure they don't bite I never people. Thought about that. Poor Jordy. Poor I mean, they'd pr- it'd probably be smaller, so it's kind of like having a dog. Just put him in a crate. <laughs> <laughs> put him in a crate. It's like, well, it's just that time of the month again. You're like laying in bed and you hear snarling and snapping. Be like, I just imagine like Jack Jack and his fiery fury. They'd be the size of a dog. So I just mean like if you get a really big like cage, that I yep. would that be classified as. Like <laughs> I don't know. If he's going to kill people, though, I feel like that's yeah, okay. I think, yeah, and he's not going to remember anything that happens either, so. I mean, you're chaining up the dad, too, so. That'd be an awful three months out of the, or three days out of the month. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so we open with Oz staring at the cheerleading statue from the witch, and he's moving side to side like he's trying to see something. And I wrote, it's moments like this that are so rewarding for the longtime viewer. And this is also another reason why it is so important not to skip season one when you're doing, uh, when you're showing someone the show for the first time, because it's moments like this that make the full, like the whole show feel cohesive and like a real world. Willow's outfit is adorable. She's got like a deep red shirt and then like the cream skirt with like the pretty embroidery on it. It's really pretty. And it's a nice, warm, cohesive change to her normally very bright colors. Mm-hmm. She looks very mature. Yes. Yeah, she does. Willow, hi, Oz. Oh, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> they're so cute. Like they're both just so equally like awkward. Yeah. Oz mentions that the cheerleading trophy seems like its eyes were following him. <laughs> I don't know how more people don't pick up on stuff like this. If there was like a random statue in the hallway that I felt like was always watching me, if I lived at Sunnydale, I'd be like, I bet you that's magical. Well, I think that also shows like how observant Oz is. The fact that he sees that and not many other people have. Um, And then I also think it's hilarious that Willow very definitely ignores what he just said, because that would be an awkward conversation, just kind of like moves right along. And they went on a date the night before they went to a movie, which I love that we're having these conversations about things that happen off screen because it shows that their relationships are progressing, even though we don't see it all the time. Mm -hmm. Oz says that he wasn't sure if he liked the movie said today's movies are like popcorn. You forget about them as soon as they're done. Both admit they had a good time together. And then there's like that cute little awkward moment where they just like aren't quite comfortable around each other. So they don't like know what to say. They want to hang out with each other, but they don't know how to like walk away. So cute. If they both weren't socially awkward, 
And if I was walk- if I walked into the room watching this show and had never seen it before, I would have been like, oh, they don't like each other. They clearly don't want to talk to each other because they're both like they don't know what to say or they just kind of let the silence just like fester and then they just like walk away. And if you didn't know that they both were just like really socially awkward, like this scene would be ter- interpreted so differently. But since we know the characters, it's very sweet because you could tell that they're internalizing a lot of it and they're too scared to speak up. Yeah, they want to... They- you know how it is like when you want to spend more time with someone, but then you aren't like sure what else to say with them, say to them, but then you don't want to like just walk away because then it's awkward and then you're just stuck there. I hate those moments. I'm so glad I'm not dating anymore. <laughs> and this is like not even like a, oh, we're in a relationship. To, it's like a, we we haven't even decided if we want to become a couple. We're just going out on dates. Yeah. So it's very unfamiliar. Yeah. Um, Buffy shows up in the background, which I thought was an interesting choice um, because you kind of, she just shows up back there and you're focused on Oz and Willow. And I think from the get go, it's kind of a clue to show that this episode's going to be about Oz and inadvertently Willow. Um, having Buffy show up and not even say anything is just, you know, it's unusual. Normally Buffy's in the opening shot or so. Also her outfit, she looks like a fashionista from the Upper West Side. It's so cute. A lot of her outfits from this episode, this one, the last one. I was about to say. So cute. I, yes. Oh my gosh. I wrote it down. I was like, so cute. But also, all of Oz's outfits in this episode are so fire. He looks so good. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's funny how. Buffy has a lot of really cute coats in Southern California where it doesn't get like super mm-hmm. cold. It looks like it's a brisk 76 yeah, degrees. Exactly. And she's wearing like a peak out. <laughs> yeah. So Willow goes and says, I'm going to go with my friend and they take off. And then Larry, the creepy pirate dude, high schooler from Halloween shows up with his cronies and continues to objectify Buffy and Willow purposely knocks a book out of a girl's hands to watch her pick it up. I don't know how Buffy doesn't just beat this. Seriously. (laughs) I would not care if I got suspended or whatever. I would whoop him. So if I had her powers, I'd be like, well, someone's going to learn something today. Yeah. Here's the thing though. Like, I think that she's really trying not to like pick fights for, like, not for no reason. There's definitely a reason to. But she's, like, being watched a ton. But also, you have to realize this is the 90s. The whole boys will be boys was such a penned phrase and coined during that time that they just dismissed a lot of what guys did, like, all the time. And so I think it was not so normalized, but pretty much normalized that guys would do this. And they'd just be like, ugh. It's just Larry. And then they would just move on. It's just Larry. Well, yeah, look at the pack. I mean, even Giles kind of dismisses some of Xander's behavior as Mm -hmm. he's just a guy. And so I think there's a lot less patience for that kind of thing now because people are like, no, it's not just boys will be boys. Like, control yourself, you know? Right. Yeah, it's just a very different time. Um, yeah, so he's objectifying her as she picks up her stuff. And I noticed that Oz purposefully looks away while all the guys are objectifying her. And I thought that was like very respectful of him. And he looks very uncomfortable with the guys around him. Um, (laughs) Wow, Larry, you've really mastered the single entendre. (laughs) I was like, that was a really good burn. Very well done. Larry asks Oz about Willow, says that innocent schoolgirl thing is just an act, right? Oz, oh yeah, she's actually an evil mastermind. It's fine. Again, a great way of deterring from like his horrible mm-hmm. comments. He's kind of like he's taking it in a different direction, hoping that Larry will like kind of divert with him. 
but then he goes back and then you can see Oz being like, oh no, what am I going to say yeah. next? Yeah. Um, and then Larry's like, how far have you gone? And then, okay, I noted for this episode, the transitions, I mean, they're always really good, but this one, the transitions, every single one was like really good. Really, really good. The pacing of this episode was very mm-hmm. well done. Like, whether that was just, like, how long scenes were or just, like, the transition from each scene. Like, it just was very well mapped out. Yeah. It's rare, and especially in the earlier seasons, where I watch an episode and don't know scene by scene what's going to happen. And so I feel like I was really able to observe this episode and really appreciate a lot of what what was happening because I haven't seen this episode a ton. I actually like wrote down in my notes that the transitions, but also a lot of how they shot the scenes, especially one in the bronze later on that I was like, oh my gosh, this is stunning. Yeah. Yeah. There was some really interesting shots. So bravo to Bruce Seth Green, which I think is hilarious. It's Mm -hmm. not Seth Green as in Oz. (laughs) Yeah. I know. (laughs) Yeah. Bruce at the Also, I apologize if you hear chewing. My puppy is chewing her bone in here again. So just try to ignore it. <laughs> um, yes. Yeah, so then we see Willow upset that they haven't even kissed, said that Oz was going to wait until she was ready, but that she is ready. Buffy says it's nice that he's not just being an animal, which clever little wink and a nod to Oz later on. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's probably also thinking about her own experience there, too, with Angelus. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. When she said this, I kind of interpret it as Buffy kind of like speaking on her experience with Angel. Yeah. Also, as they're walking and talking, an extra walking behind them, it's the same extra that was walking behind them in their conversation in What's My Line Part 2 after Kendra gets there. It's like the same dude. The no, it's a, it's a dude. It's not the first lady. <laughs> I've been looking for her. I'm like, where is she? Um, no, he's kind of distinct because he walks with one hand in his pocket and then books in his other hand and he's chewing gum. But I thought it was funny because Marty Noxon talks about how a lot of the extras would come back for each episode and a lot of them kind of grew up on the show. So I, I've kind of been looking for repeat extras and he's one of them. So next time you rewatch, look for him. So Buffy says, have you dropped hints? Willow says, I've dropped anvils. (laughs) Buffy, maybe he'll come around. What guy can resist your willy wily charms? Willow, at last count, all of them, maybe more. (laughs) Willow was just like snappy this episode. She was. I think it's like one partner with the fact that she just is so pissed off at the fact that Oz has not made a move. But I think it's, too, it's also just she's still on top of the fact that, like, you know, Xander and Cordelia are an item now. But I honestly feel like she was more fired up in this episode because Oz had yet to make a move. Yeah. No, and I I had to remember that, too. I was like, okay, what happened in the last episode? Because I think so much gets kind of overrun with not overrun, but like so much of Willow and Oz kind of got overshadowed by Buffy and Angel, like rightly, because that's what's happening in Innocence, you know. But there's also a lot of stuff happening between Xander, Willow, Cordelia, and Oz, too, that I think this episode was very necessary because it needed to deal with the fallout of Xander and Willow um, and all the other stuff. So I think I think it was very needed. And I, even though I know some people are like, oh, this is kind of a weird episode um, in like in the order of the season, I think it's actually like really well placed. 
Um, Dean Vitale said that Joss is the final arbiter when it comes to any actors requesting dialogue changes, but that he said that Sarah actually changed some dialogue in this scene. She thought there was a word that Buffy wouldn't know and that she was being too pushy in her advice to Willow. So they were like, yeah, you have a really good point. So they toned down Buffy's advice and rephrased it. And they said that's like something they normally don't do. Joss does that. But like, yeah, I thought that was really a really nice little touch. Buffy says, none of them know a thing. They all get an F from Willow. Willow, but I want Oz to get an A and one of those gold stars. <laughs> and then Willow later says, well, he better hurry. I don't want to be the only girl in school without a real boyfriend. Buffy looks down in pain. And Willow, to her credit, mm. she knows her mistake and apologizes. Like, she's not trying to be mean. And it's so hard, to because it's like, as a friend... You don't want to, like, obviously rub your happiness in a friend's face who is really going through something. But on the other hand, you know, you do want to be able to celebrate your own happiness. And so it's like, it's this weird balance. And I really do feel like Willow and Buffy have really, f are trying to find that balance between, like, being happy for each other um, and themselves without, like, stepping on each other's toes. Yeah, that's a good point, Leah, especially, too, because I think Willow has sat on the sideline and kind of cheered for Buffy and Angel when things were going really well for them. So I think the fact that Buffy's now over here able to kind of give advice to Willow and kind of help her along and cheer her on, I think is just really cool. Buffy talks about how she wants them all to go hang out with the bronze and commiserate. Willow says she'll give Xander a call. Um, she's like, what's his number again? Oh, yeah, 1-800-I'm-dating-a-skanky-hoe. <laughs> which okay so which, yes a little out of line yes. funny very funny not going to lie but uncalled it's for also it's extremely extremely uncalled for because like cordelia is not the one who did something wrong in this situation and xander didn't really do anything wrong either should he could he have been a little bit more honest with his friend yes but neither of them are necessarily doing anything wrong and so i do think that it is a little uncalled for for her to be that rude and callous to Cordelia, especially since Cordelia for pretty much this whole season has been kind to them. Yep. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, I don't think it's ever really kind to call a girl a hoe anyway, you know? So I don't think that I know Willow is hurting and I want to give her grace, but I also don't think that her going and, you know, slut shaming Cordelia or anything like that is necessarily the best way to go about it you know oh my gosh this dog is loud sorry everybody willow says she doesn't know what xander sees in cordelia anyway cut to cordelia's car xander and cordelia making out and this scene. Uh, yeah this is frustrating oh my gosh yep. mm -hmm. oh and then here's the problem xander had just made steps in the I was last about to say that. episode mm -hmm. of like, you know, talking to Cordelia about how he like wanted to date her actually. And like, mm -hmm. you know, you being aware of her feelings and like all this stuff and like really trying to make an effort in their relationship, right? Cut to this one. Not only is he not paying attention to the girl that he's being physical with right now, he is bringing up Buffy which Cordelia knows he's had past, like a past thing for Buffy. Then he's bringing up Willow as well, which Cordelia knows 
Willow has had a thing for him in the past. So it's like, mm-hmm. it is. Why is it bringing her up? So disrespectful. Mm-hmm. It's so gross. And it's also gross to me because Xander is now starting to exhibit a pattern seeking the attention of girls that are not focusing available. on him or available. <laughs> like, he liked Buffy, who was very much taken with Angel. He liked Cordelia because she was kind of a chase. Like, and then, well, that's her Umpata, last name. who he couldn't have. Ampata, who, well, he could have Ampata. I mean, not really. Like, he would die if he did. I think here's the thing. I think Xander truly did care for Ampata. I think there's a part of him that cares for Willow. There's a part of him that cares for Buffy. I think there probably even is a part of him that cares for Cordelia. The problem is they've been kind of using the, and even Xander's been using, the excuse of, I'm a horny guy. Like, he talks about linoleum makes me want to have sex. And so it's almost this sense of, like, can't quite control myself. And, like, I'm just attracted to a bunch of girls. And so... Boys yeah, so boys. boys will be boys. And so it's the whole animal thing. Like he has an animal mm-hmm. inside of him that he can't, you know, and it's it, whatever. And it's frustrating because that's not true. That's not true. That's not fair. It's just Sander has no emotional control, can't control himself. And it's very frustrating because you see Cordelia being frustrated, but you also see how much she really cares about him. Like there's a like one point where, um, you know, they're talking and he's, like zoning out and then she kind of looks at him almost like oh you're so cute like you can see like how much she cares for him like the affection in her eyes and he just is like completely clueless but also we've seen cordelia have boyfriend of the week after boyfriend of the week which is not a bad thing not shaming her for it but i'm saying that that's been such a pattern and a default of hers she would not in her words risk her reputation by constantly being with xander if she didn't care for him this Yeah, long. that's a really good point, Tabs. She's been with him longer than any other guy that we've seen so far. Way yeah. longer. She's got to yeah. really care for him, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and she also has the patience of a saint to be, like, trying to make out with him and him constantly interrupting to talk about other girls. Mm-hmm. I would be so, like, not, no make-out session is worth that at all. No. Um, yeah, Cordelia, excuse me, we did not come here to talk about Willow. We came here to do things I can never tell my father about because he still thinks I'm a good girl. Xander says he doesn't trust Oz because he's a senior. Ah, and Cordelia is like, do you even want to be here? Which is a fair question. Good for but her. it's also like, mm-hmm. choose who you're jealous over. You're jealous over Buffy. You're jealous over Willow. You're jealous over Cordelia. But when you're around th- all of those girls, you're not actually focusing on any of those girls. Mm. He just wants any attention by all of his female friends that he can. So when he's around one, he's complaining about the other. It's like he's never happy. Yeah. And I think, again, it's an innate insecurity. And it's also comes from the sense of I need to have sexual conquests in order to be deemed as a man. You know, everything that we learned about in Teacher's Pet in the pack. I think Xander is still wrestling with these underlying um, chauvinistic, misogynistic male themes. Um, And it really comes to a head in here in this episode where like, you know, in the previous episodes, it's been he wants a girl. But now he has multiple girls pining after him. And it's like he's still struggling with these same things. So maybe the problem is not them. It's you, Xander. (laughs) Um, Cordelia reminds Xander that they are alone together in a nice car with a full moon. And then it's romantic. So shut up as she pulls him in to kiss more. 
but also a subtle way of pointing out the fact that it's a full moon out. Yes. Smart. So then we pull out from the car and see a beast watching them and growling. Xander hears a noise. Cordelia's annoyed. Is Willow sending out some sort of distress signal that only you can hear? <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, also, I thought it was funny how, like, they jacked up the animal forest noises in these scenes. And, like, you hear, like, owls hooting and all that other stuff. I thought it was funny. I think they're trying to make a comparison between the sex drive and animalistic tendencies with all of these, like, background noises. Oh, yeah. 100%. Um, they start to kiss. Then uh, a noise distracts them. And Cordelia's like, I'm done. I'm done. And then an animal tears through the top of the convertible. And they take off in the car, knocking the animal off on their way. Which this felt very much like another horror trope of, like, the couple making out in the car and then an animal attacking them. I just, I thought, I was loving it. Well, it also reminded me of Prophecy Girl mm. when Cordelia is making mm-hmm. out when they're, when Buffy is like killing the vampire. Mm-hmm. Very reminiscent of that. Yes. Yeah, that's a good point. So parking lot in the day, this scene just about set me, especially with Giles. So Buffy's looking at the tear and asks Xander if he's sure it was a werewolf. Giles shows them a newspaper, says that there have been other reports of attacks from a wild dog that mutilated other animals around town. Willow is distraught for the bunnies. Oz reassures her that bunnies can take care of themselves. Yeah, Willow, have you ever seen Watership Down? Oh, God, don't bring that up. And no one's going to appreciate our trauma. I think a lot of other people have been traumatized by Watership Down, too. I don't think it's just us. I don't think anyone else has seen it. No, I don't know. Okay, if you guys have seen Watership Down, please let us know. There's this movie. It's very graphic and gory, but it's a cartoon. And our father went to Blockbuster and was going to go get a movie for us and just saw this innocent rabbit movie sitting in the kids' section of Blockbuster. And now we all have childhood trauma. So It's literally a horror movie made of bunnies. Yeah, bunnies just tearing each other apart and it's just as terrifying it's, it's as not, it sounds. Oh yeah. The, well no, it's worse. It's like you think like, okay, cartoon stuff can't be that bad, but it's like anything horrific. They just made it overly gruesome, overly horrible. And then the actors who played them with the voices just sounded like they were on acid. <laughs> so it was terrifying. Well and rabbits are scary. To like they're teeth. Guys a visual, there's literally a scene <laughs> where a rabbit is jumping over a blade of grass and gets sliced in half <laughs> by the blade of grass. And no, that one's not that there's bad. There's another scene where one of the cannibal bunnies cannibal is going bunnies. to eat the other bunnies. And then there's another scene. How do you remember all this? Oh, I remember it all. There's another scene where all the bunnies are stuffed in a hole and suffocated to death by the humans. No, 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 no. By far the worst one is when some of them, one of them gets hit by a car and is roadkill and is slowly dying on the side of the highway. Yep. Oh my gosh. I don't remember that. I think I blocked it out because I was so nope, traumatized. I remember a certain scene so well. I remember so way well. too much. How did you guys watch that much of the movie? Did mom and dad not like turn it off? No, we got like three, four scenes. Our father. Scenes. We literally, we, I think we saw the gist of it. And then like eventually, like all of us, like I, because I think we, we were all crying. I know that. All collectively, we were trying to like, because I remember trying to look at everyone being like, is everyone as terrified as I am? Because I didn't <laughs> want to be the wimp who was like, this is too scary. You totally. Like, I just want to be the wimp. Leah's like The youngest. Four. Yeah. And so, like, all of us, I just remember, like, waiting until everyone else was saying that they were scared to say that I was scared, too. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Uh, oh, that's ridiculous. I'm going to have to stick, like, an explicit sticker onto this one just for bunny carnage. <laughs> all right. So, back to the 
the episode. Um, Giles says that no one has been injured. Says they will find out at the next month's full moon who was the werewolf or whether it was a werewolf. And Will reminds him that that evening is the actual full moon. That the night before was the night before the full moon. Which I was is very clever because they didn't want to have to skip forward a month into time. They were able to like kind of shoehorn. Oh, there's actually three full moons in a month, which is not at all correct. But you know, we make it work. Giles says that the accepted legend that werewolves only prowl during a full moon might be erroneous. Buffy says that Giles has some schooling to do, and Giles is like a kid in a candy store. He is so excited. He's like, werewolves, it's one of the classics. I'm sure my books and I are in for a fascinating afternoon. When I tell you I heard that line and died laughing because, like, the sheer amount of joy that Giles is like, yes, like, I get to go read and it's going to be so fun. Like, I was dying. It's because Leah can relate. Yeah, I know. Books are so much fun. I mean, I'm not reading the books he's reading, but, like, <laughs> it's just so funny. Yeah, I'm not reading about demonology. Yeah, no, not at all. Oh, my goodness. I love it when Giles gets really excited, though. It makes it just cracks me up. He was especially giddy in this episode. So, okay, is this gym class, self-defense gym class? PE, I think. PE, okay. I mean, taking self-defense for PE is a really good idea. Well, yeah. that, and I think it's also because it's in um, Sunnydale that yeah. they, like, are trying to take that extra precaution. Yeah, no, I was like, this was an excellent idea, especially for Sunnydale. They're like, our mysterious deaths have really gone up this month, so we've <laughs> got to do something. <laughs> yeah, right? The coach that we've never seen before is like, Sunnydale is getting more dangerous all the time, and the full moon tends to bring out the crazies. Oh, and I was like, okay, woman, how much do you know? You sound like you know some stuff. I, I need to know. Um, with simple basics of self-defense, each of you can learn how to protect yourself. And Buffy's like, um, how about move away from the hell mouth? Here's a tip. And I was like, yes, exactly. Oz, okay, Oz is behind them, and you see him staring at Willow's back, and you can tell that he's, like, wrestling with whether he should, like, leave her tag out or if he should tuck it back in. It's the cutest thing I've ever seen. I will say, this scene is so funny because Oz does the most, like, whether whether uh, Willow and Oz see it as a romantic thing, I see it as one of the most platonic things in the world. As just yeah. like, hey, your tag is sticking out. Let me fix that for you, friend. Oz does that, and <laughs> freaking Xander goes, I can't believe this. Like, <laughs> like, he's all over her. Yeah, he's all over her. Like, I was just dying. I was like, that is the most platonic action I've ever seen in a relationship ever. But okay, so. I don't know about you guys, but you know how, like, you're kind of, like, you have a crush on a guy and he's not making a move. And so then you're, like, so desperate for any, like, form of attention or, like, something to where you're, like, he, like, shut the window. Oh, he knew I was cold. He's, like, being such a gentleman. You know what I mean? You, like, start looking into anything. And so I think that was literally Willow, like, he tucked my tag in. It totally makes sense why that was a big deal for Willow and Oz because they haven't really had much physical contact yet. Yeah. And so any type of touch is a big deal. But from an observer's point of yeah. view, it's so funny that that's the thing that Xander's like, <gasps> you know, because it's like, it's nothing. You make out with Cordelia in a car, like him putting her tag in is the smallest thing ever. 
Well, it's just stupid that Cordelia is the person that he's ranting all of this stuff to. Like, it makes a lot of sense why she's pretty upset by him by the middle of the episode. Also, there's a dude sitting behind Xander and Cordelia that looks like he is in his 30s. He has a full beard. And I was like, what high school <laughs> student? <laughs> Maybe he is a werewolf, but he's transitioning. Yeah, around. exactly. He's he's an actual werewolf. <laughs> he's like, ah, oh, dang it. <laughs> Missed my shot. I could have been, you know. Mom, I gotta go home. <laughs> Oh, he's the one that bit Jordy. Um, all right, so everyone gets into their assigned groups to do the exercises. Xander notices that Larry has a bandage on his arm. All right, this scene is just so well done. Misdirection, the misdirection so well. is good because mm-hmm. they could have just made Larry out to be like this like douchebag, but the fact that he's you know gay and then he comes out as well, it they gave him a an actual like substantial plot along with everything instead of him just making him like you know the guy that we're just going to project yep. everything on. So you don't know it's Oz. It's just very well done. Yeah. Um, yeah. And Larry's like, yeah, last week, a huge dog ran out of the bushes and bit me. I had 39 stitches. And then Oz over there is like, yeah, I was bit by my cousin, Jordy. Or he just says, Jordy doesn't like to be tickled and shows the bite. So like, it's so fast and it's so subtle mm-hmm. that you miss it completely. Cause you're so focused mm-hmm. on Larry. And yet later on you're like, Oh yeah, Oz got bit. It's just really well done. I hate the scene. Okay, Larry walks away, holds on to his arm. You can just arm. skim past it. Everyone knows what we're about to say. Yeah, okay. So all this stuff happens. I do I do like that um, he says, we're in the same group. I may have to attack you. And Teresa is trying really hard. You can tell she's scared. And she's trying to tell him that mm-hmm. there are a few people in the group, not just the two of them. And Buffy like sidles right next to her and says with her eyes that she will wipe the floor with Larry. And the shot is just well done because the way that it's angled, you don't even realize there's a space next to Teresa. And then when Buffy just kind of slides right in, it's just really, it's really cool. Um, So Larry gets the message, isn't happy. And this I thought was interesting. So Willow runs over, pulls Buffy away and reminds her that she's supposed to be a meek little girly girl like the rest of them. And Buffy wants to have fun with Larry, which, you know, can't blame her. But I wrote that, you know, Buffy pretending to be weak could be a metaphor for how girls have to portray themselves as weak and fragile in order to protect themselves and also to protect or the guy's ego. The male ego. Yep. 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 Um, yeah. So she's partnered with Larry and the coach tells them to flip their attacker over their shoulders. Buffy pretends she's not strong enough. And Larry, but also, like, why is the teacher allowing this? If I was <laughs> literally teaching my kids I was thinking that too. a self-defense class and I heard a girl was like actually following the instructions and a guy was making fun of it, I would literally rain hellfire on that dude. I would be like, okay, let's go to the principal right now. Like, I'd send him straight to the principal's yep. office. No questions asked. Yeah. 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 The teachers seem to kind of turn a blind eye to a lot of the stuff that's going on. Which is not necessarily unrealistic. Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah, Yeah, especially when you have one teacher with that many students, you know? Yeah, so he grows Buffy, and she flips him so hard. I I reround that a couple times because it's very satisfying. (laughs) Willow looks at Buffy like, oh, not again. And Oz is like, well, that works too. (laughs) Which, you know, Oz is probably like, he knows Larry deserved it, you know? Um, All right, so this scene was cut from the script for length. Xander to Cordelia, be gentle with me. (laughs) 
Cordelia to Willow. You first. I wouldn't want to be accused of taking your place in line. Willow. Oh, I think you pushed your way to the front long before this. Cordelia. Hey, I can't help it if I get the spotlight just because some people blend into the background. Willow. Well, maybe some people could see better if you weren't standing on the auction block shaking your wares. Cordy. Sorry, we haven't all perfected that phony girl next door bit. Willow. You could be the girl next to next door too if Xander lived next to a brothel. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. That is intense. I'm glad they. I'm very cut glad that. they cut that because here's the thing. I want the focus of the episode to be on. The guy's misogyny and on not girls pinning each other exactly, each other. and I not think the, the girls' mm-hmm. misogyny. Yeah, yeah, or just even the girls, like you know, like Tabby said, pitting each other against each other. Like I know, or pining after their like attention. Yes, exactly, and I I'm glad they cut that. I think unfortunately, there's several other instances in the episode where it's like, okay, I wish you cut it out a little bit more. But I do appreciate that instead of this, we have the scene with Cordelia and Willow bonding a little bit in the bronze, because I think things like that are more needed than something like this. So in the library, Giles is all prepared with his research. He even has a globe with a moon circling it. Um, says that the phases of the moon seem to affect us all psychologically. The full moon brings out our darkest qualities Xander cracks a moon pie joke. And for some reason, Giles thinks this is hilarious. I just, I don't understand. But I think that that maybe they were trying to show that Giles is just a bigger boy. I don't know. I don't know. I kind of found this funny. Oh, okay. (laughs) None of them are laughing. And then, like, Giles is literally, I think he spends a solid minute just dying. And we know he doesn't like Xander. So it's more funny that he legitimately thinks that this is hilarious. Yeah, that's the funny thing is normally he just rolls his eyes at Xander's jokes, but he's like thinking it's really funny. I think he's just very excited about all this research he does. So anytime somebody interacts with him, he's like, oh, they're listening. Says the werewolf is an extreme of our inborn animalistic impulses brought out by three consecutive nights, the full moon and the two nights surrounding it, um, which is totally not true. But, you know, again, a clever way to get around having to wait a full month. Um, Willow says, quite the party animal, which is hilarious because Oz is anything but a party animal. Like, he's the last person you would ever think. Giles, quite, it acts on pure pure instinct, no conscience, predatory and aggressive, Buffy. In other words, your typical male. So, not cool. Like, again, trying to be fair with everything. I think it's understandable that Buffy would say this simply because she's kind of reeling from Angelus, leaving her. Or turning or changing after he had sex with her. So I think Buffy's speaking out of hurt here. But again, like trying to be fair with everything, you know, I don't think that there should be like painting a broad stroke with all males saying they're all misogynistic, they're all this, because again, not everybody is the same, you know. Uh, Xander, on behalf of my gender, hey, Giles, yes, let's not draw any conclusions, looks all offended. Buffy, I didn't jump. I took a tiny step, and their conclusions were... <laughs> I laughed so hard that far. Yep. Took a tiny step, and, and their conclusions were... <laughs> yep. Giles says the werewolf could be female or anyone bitten by a wolf. Xander asks about silver bullets, and Giles says not to kill it as the werewolf is still human and may not be aware of their condition. And then a really cool transition shot of Buffy into the full moon. Okay, this. So Giles, 
<laughs> Looking like Indiana Jones walking amongst a cars full of teenagers making out is just one of the funniest <laughs> things. Dying. He's just like awkwardly walking through. This scene is so funny. Buffy makes a comment about how like no one has seen anything, like alluding to the fact that everyone's making out. And he's like, uh, oh, right. Uh, yes. Uh, <laughs> and then he just like mumbles on. So funny. Oh, my goodness. And Buffy's like checking to see who's making out with who. And like, yeah. Oh, so funny. So Willow goes into the woods and there's a shot from overhead and you just know Buffy's going to be in a trap. Gets caught in a net. Hunter with a gun shows up. Buffy calls for Giles, who runs in and asks who the guy is. Guy's name is Kane, lets Buffy down, and, oh my gosh, talks about how impressed he is that Giles is with Buffy, insinuating that they're together, which very similar to Larry. Giles's voice gets deeper. You'd be wise to take that back. I was like, get it, Giles, get it. But also, like, they're in the middle of a place where everyone's speaking out, so, like, it makes sense that he would say that. But I just, like, I hate that they have to draw attention to the like to that because, like, I feel like the writers and everyone has done such a good job of deterring away from, like, oh, a teacher, you know, hanging out with students when it makes complete sense in the logic of the show. But it's, like, when you have to, like, make a joke or, like, kind of, like, point at it, I'm just like, no, no, no. Let's go back to our blissful do that, silence. Please. Yes. See, Literally. I actually liked the fact that they mentioned the fact that some people are going to see things like this and kind of corrupt it and taint it. And I like the fact that they're, both their reactions were like, ew, no, never. Because it just is like, not that we needed an affirmation in that way because I don't think anyone ever thought of it. But... I like that they shut it down so it's like this is never going to be a plot line. This is never going to be a thing. Like, not to spoil it for anyone, but like, <laughs> if there's one thing spoil that, if there's one thing I would spoil, I, I hate to crap on people's ideas and theories, but like, I'm letting y'all know now you can ship a lot of people on the show, but if you ship someone like Giles and Buffy, I'm never talking to you ever again. Get out of the fandom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I. I think there's a difference between, though, like, Kane mentioning it versus Kane almost giving a seal of approval. Because it's, he's very much like, wow, well done, Giles, versus like, oh, making an observation, you know? And I think that's the thing that I'm disgusted with. Um, yeah, like, what else would two people be doing in Lover's Lane? But the fact that he was like, yeah, get the fruit while it's ripe kind of thing. Like, ew, you know, it's it's just, it's gross. And it immediately tells you everything you need to know about Kane, which I think that Kane is a completely unnecessary addition to this episode. They obviously were not planning on going anywhere deep with him. And they very easily could have made all of the... um the tension in the episode without having him in there. Like just having Buffy be like, all right, I'm going to go kill the werewolf would be enough of a tension without having to have Kane in there as well. I think he's supposed to be the one person who kind of breaks the mold of the symbolism and just goes straight for the jugular. Mm -hmm. So he makes a ton of sexist, clear, obvious comments mm -hmm. that are not metaphoric, mm -hmm. whereas everyone else is being shown in a very artful, tasteful manner. Well, not Larry. 
Okay, well, you know what I mean. But, like, with him, he's, like, he makes comments about how Buffy's a girl and Buffy could never do this because she's tiny and she's weak and things like that. Where it's, like, a normal douchey male. Not a normal. But, like, particular douchey males would do, you know? And so I feel like he's there for that reason. But I think he could be unnecessary because you could have layer use of those things. Yeah. You know? I think he was there because they needed someone for Buffy to be up and kind of showcase, you know, how she's not going to stand for the misogyny. Because well, they could, she could do that with Larry. Could they have her, though? Because they had Larry coming out of the closet. They were going in a different direction with him. If they were not having oh, him see. come out of the closet. They gave him some depth. Yes. They gave Larry yeah. depth. They didn't give Kane so much depth. So I think that I, I see what you're saying in that sense. Still, though, I think that he wasn't as necessary to the plot, but. No, I agree with you. Yeah. All right. So Kane shows his necklace of werewolf teeth, says he takes one from every werewolf that he kills, that after he kills the next one, he'll have a dozen. Buffy's horrified that he's going to kill it. Kane says their pelt is expensive, that it's hard to skin them alive. Um, and Giles, you hunt werewolves for sport, Kane? No, no, I'm in it purely for the money, as if, like, you know, that's any better. Um, Buffy, it doesn't bother you that a werewolf is a person 28 days out of the month, which I think there's a quite an interesting period correlation here too. the whole idea of like girls periods, like Mm -hmm. talking about like coming, um, uh, coming of age, coming of age. Yeah. Like Mm -hmm. prepubescent teenagers, all that stuff. And the fact that like you turn into like an animal or you don't, you aren't very nice during your period, which yeah, you're yes. not the same. Yeah. But also could be just like a sexist trope too that yep. they're throwing in there, yep. which I think could be – if that's what they're doing, it's – I like that. But also they just didn't really explain Exactly. So it could kind of be either. twisted in the other extreme where it's like, and the, you know, Well, this was the same thing. The, my same trouble with Bad Eggs because I was like, I know the show. So I know what they're trying to do with that yes. whole scene where Xander's tossing the egg and he's playing the whole playful male version of child, have, being a father. And then there's like Buffy and Willow being all tired and defeated by staying up all night and taking care of their egg, which if they explained it and it was like, oh, this is what society sees and they could talk about how it's unfair that the women have to go through all this and guys can just, you know, not guy, you, you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't mean all men, um, but like some men can just benefit off of being like the lighthearted one doesn't have to worry about everything, but they just didn't really do a good job of expressing it. Yeah. And like the entirety of the show. Whereas in this one, I have the same struggle struggles with it because it's like since I know the show, I can pretty much read between the lines. But they didn't do a good job of making it a great and foolproof metaphor. And I think that they just were a little bit lackluster. Yeah, it wasn't as tight as it normally could have been. And, and I think that if they had like cut out a few things and been very clear cut and what the metaphor was, it would have been a little bit better. But because it seemed like they kind of just like shoved a bunch of stuff in and weren't very um, clear I guess I keep saying clear, but you know what they I mean. They try to throw too much too into much. one metaphor. Yes, I agree. Yes. And you kind of have to like stick to maybe one or two things, but you do any more than that and it just kind of breaks down a little bit yeah. too fast. So yeah, I totally agree with you, Tabs. Um, he tells them that the werewolves are attracted to sexual heat and can sense it miles away. Ask them where there's another makeout place, which Buffy's all like, oh, gee, I don't know. And but you don't know squat. Gee, what a surprise. I just wanted, I put, I want to kick him in the teeth and then take one of his, 
you know, and just use it, like, or have Bobby take it and use it as a trophy. So gross. I have a necklace. I'm like, this is all the teeth of the men I've yeah, killed, but I'm just yeah. like, his teeth, whoever did, like, the design or whatever, the necklace looks so fake. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the props in this episode are not super great, but you know what? That's not what we're here for. <laughs> the lighting is gorgeous, though, I will say. Like, especially the shot with, um, like, Angelus in this next one with Teresa. Or Teresa. So she's, like, walking home, hears the noise in the bushes, bumps into Angelus, who's holding this tiny little flower and twirling it. And, like, David Boreanaz does such a good job because it, he he's acting like Angel in this episode or in this moment. But it's so much more sinister than how Angel acts. It's very, very much Angelus. Um, and he even, like, goes to look to see if anything was there. And I think the thing about Angelus is he likes to play with his victims and likes to make them feel safe before he kills them. Like, he didn't have to go the extra mile to say, hey, do you know Buffy? Because it immediately makes her so much more relieved and more at ease. And it's very cruel. Um, so in the bronze, uh, the song is uh, Blind for Now by the band Lotion, which is a very odd title for a band. And you see a bunch of couples making out. And Cordelia is talking about how annoyed she is that Xander is constantly talking about Buffy and Willow. It's like, I don't even exist. Which I think the gall of Cordelia to be talking about this with Willow, like, I don't know that I could even talk about my struggles with the guy that is having a crush on the girl that I'm talking with. Like, I just don't know how she does it. And she's just like... I don't know. I just like seeing them as friends. Like, it's sweet that they're just, like, connecting as friends. Yeah, it's the first time we've seen this dynamic, and I think it's really, really much needed. Um, Willow seems a little bitter at Xander and is totally enjoying the fact that Cordelia is feeling how she's felt for forever. Just the whole, like, it's like I don't even exist, Willow. I sometimes feel like that. Willow, he's so busy looking at what he doesn't have, he doesn't even realize what he does have. Poster for Xander. That's literally what would be printed on his forehead. Uh, yep. Cordelia, he should at least realize that you have Oz, Willow. Hmm, I'm not sure I do. Oz and I are in some sort of holding pattern. <laughs> I love all these animal references. It's so funny. Mm-hmm. Except without the holding or anything else. <laughs> <laughs> She's killing it this episode. The dialogue they give her. So good. Crushing it. I was like, man, Willow. I just kept like blinking like, did Willow just say that? I don't uh- I don't know. The fact that, like, Cordelia is backing Willow up and just being like, uh, Oz is stupid for, like, not backing you up and stuff is just very sweet. Like, we're seeing a very tender side of Cordelia, and it's just sweet seeing her and Willow's friendship kind of start to blossom. Yeah, or at the very least, you know, an understanding side of Cordelia, and she's actually hearing and listening Willow, which I really appreciated. Um, And even if, you know, their relationship doesn't go anywhere from here, like, we still have these moments, and I think they're very important. Um, Werewolf jumps in, everyone runs screaming into the parking lot as Giles and Buffy roll up, and I all I could think was, could you guys imagine if they'd gone with Anthony Stewart-Head's idea of the sidecar motorcycle? <laughs> that would be so funny in this episode particular. Right? Oh, oh my, my gosh. gosh. Imagine them trying to run away from the werewolves, and then they're just trying to hop on the little yeah. side wagon thing. <laughs> that would be so funny. But also, like, the Aristocats are such an underrated, like, comedy Disney movie. The the whole scenes with like the um the dogs, the dogs and like that that dude yes 
eye at the end with the hat and like, oh my gosh, so funny to me. Buffy, um, who could resist our house of hormones? Willow meets her and tells her the werewolf is in the bronze. And actually, if you guys look really closely, you can see two guys are pushing the car from behind when Buffy jumps out. <laughs> really? That's funny. I, and I bet you that's probably a union thing, because if they had Sarah Michelle Gellar jump out of a car that was on and actually moving, they'd probably be some sort of a risk. So they had to have the car off and just had people push it, which is just funny. All those little things you just don't think about until you actually realize what goes on behind the scenes. Okay, and this shot, I think, Tabs, I think you mentioned it, the, the lighting is gorgeous. Are you talking about the bronze? Yes. Yeah, okay. And not only the lighting, but the, the shot, mm-hmm. it like follows her kind of back and forth as if you're observing her. Not necessarily like a predator. I don't think that's what they're going for. But like they kind of shot from left to right as she's walking through the bronze. And um, and she's observing how messy it is. Yeah. So it's like we're observing her observing the bronze. And so it kind of pans back and forth left and right. And then it, it, it goes into another shot where it's kind of down below. Mm-hmm. And it's like a wide shot of yeah. the bronze. Yeah. Well, the, it's so cool. The angle is shot from below. So you can see the second story of the bronze and it kind of gives an idea how big the space is. And it makes us yeah. feel like the werewolf could jump down from below because that's and what it's been I, doing. I think we, we don't usually see the bronze in this type of atmosphere just because there's usually people in there. Or if she's by herself, it's like we've seen it in Angel, but it was really dark and they played with lighting in that episode because that was important for the moment and so for this one it was a lot more lit because you needed to observe all the mess and everything and the fact that it could pop out at any time yeah well the lighting is very orangey red and it's lit more and so normally we see the bronze in more of like a pale blue light and it's interesting Mm -hmm. because the contrast from inside versus outside also i noticed a lot of shots in this episode were moving shots so like you even have that one where buffy is confronting larry and then willow comes and grabs her arm and then the instead of the camera going from shot to shot it pans over and there's a lot of movement shots like this and I just it creates a very interesting feel and I'm I'm not sure why they did that but I, I thought that was very clever so Buffy sees a shadow from the back of the bronze there are a lot of moving shots oh yeah I wrote there's a lot of moving shots in the episode she walks onto the stage the werewolf appears which is funny because the werewolf is Oz so he goes to the bronze to go on stage like as if he's gonna play in the band it's really funny huh she grabs a chain lassos the werewolf costume is not great especially close up um the werewolf gets away crashes once again out the window of the bronze and i was cracking up that poor repairman's like oh dang it again (laughs) especially since the last time that happened was just two episodes ago i'm surprised yep he's like the same window too literally it's like come on man he's like i'm just gonna board this up i'm so tired yeah he's like forget this Kane, you let it get away, Buffy. I didn't let it do anything. Kane, this is what happens when a woman tries to do a man's job. Giles is over there seething. With him, I feel like they make it a little too, his, like, his sexism a little too on the nose. Yes. Which is so funny, but, like, it's, he's just not well written. Like, he's, like, he makes the storyline a little too in your face. Mm -hmm. I think, yeah, I totally agree with you, Leah. I think that I mean, I'm going to go on a tiny tangent, but I promise it makes sense. Um, I One of my biggest pet peeves in uh, like feminist modern movies is when they try to depict misogynistic males in this very obvious same type of manner. Because I'm like, okay, 
the percentage of guys who would be this upfront and honest about their misogyny is so few and far between. And it kind of doesn't really resonate with me because I'm like, girls don't actually go through this on the norm that often. Yeah. Um, whereas there's like underlined ingrained stuff that you see through Larry, that you see through Xander, that you see through other males that we've seen in Buffy, that girls have to face all the time especially guys like Xander that we've seen so far I don't want to crap too much Xander just because he does grow I want to give that preface but as of the Xander right now the misogyny we see in him right now I myself have seen that in a lot of people growing up yeah and so I think that I get more intrigued and I'm a lot more like I appreciate how they do it in characters like Xander because I'm like this is real because people dismiss what Xander and guys like Xander do because it's not as upfront whereas this character is a little bit like weak to me because I'm like what are the odds it's very few like I've never had someone say something like that to me and be truthful about it yeah that's not to say that there aren't guys like Kane out there right but I totally agree with you Tabs and I think unfortunately when people that are actually do struggle with misogyny they look at someone like Kane and they go, well, I'm not that. They compare themselves. And yes, so exactly. I'm not misogynistic. You could say that about racism too, you know? Um, Absolutely. And so the thing is, is it's frustrating because it actually detracts from the overall message that they're trying to send when you have someone that's yes. so yep. in your face about it because then it turns into, well, I'm not as bad as Kane. And it's like, well, Kane is a completely yeah. one-dimensional fictional character. You know, I and mean, obviously everybody's fictional. It's hard but. to because it's like, yes, I'm glad they wanted to show that sexism isn't different forms it's not just the canes Mm -hmm. it's not just you know the larry's but when you have characters like you know kane that take up a lot of screen time and every word out of his mouth is something sexist Mm. it does detract from the characters that are more well written and you could have focused on the ones and showed how normalized misogyny can be through larry and xander but yet, I agree with you, Leah. Like a lot of the airtime is taken up on Kane, where it's like we all know this is sexist. We all—I mean, if you're a decent human being, you should know that that's wrong to say. Whereas, like, you could have taken this episode to focus on the other two guys, where it's more normalized, and you can shed light on how that's wrong. Yeah, it's frustrating because I think even misogynistic people would be like, "No, that is wrong," and it's like. It, it benefits mm-hmm. nobody to have a character that is so blatantly in your face. What's better is to use the metaphor and to actually like dive mm-hmm. into your characters. Like um, the, the thing with Kane too, is it's not just, is he in your face? But we also don't know why he is the way he is. We don't know anything mm-hmm. about him. And so when you understand more of why a character is flawed, then it helps you better to dissect and to be able to say, okay, this is how to prevent that. But with Kane, we don't know anything of his backstory. We don't know why he is the way he is. We know nothing other than he is literally just misogynistic. And so it doesn't actually help the problem. We aren't able to actually mm-hmm. like, fix anything about it you know what i mean i think the only reason why he's in this episode is to show the irony that he's supposed to be hunting down 
like humans that are animals when he himself yep. is fully human and yep. is an animal and disgusting. Yeah. That's the only why, reason why he's in here because there's that contrast and the irony of yep. it. But it's like, I could have done without you. Yeah. I mean, the irony is, is that he's technically a mass murderer because he knows that werewolves are people and he's still hunting them and killing them. So like, yeah. he's just shown to be a really awful human being and kind of to be like a foil to, I think honestly to kind of show like, Hey, he's a man's man, like a hunter. Like this is supposed to be like the guyiest guy of all time. But then like how horrible and awful he is, then it's like, okay. But I've seen that done before. It's yeah. not anything new. It's not anything interesting. Yep. I mean, he's like, it's not a very important character. So it's like, meh. But I just like, I think I detracts from like art. Yeah. Well, I mean, I they think they could have described it. He, I mean, I, everyone hates him, but he's not nearly as irritating as someone like Ted, who Ted is misogynistic, but it's very subversive. Like it's very subtle. They did him well. Yes. Mm-hmm. And because of it, we all hate Ted, you know, versus Kane. We're like, but also, he's annoying. There, there was a storyline behind Ted too, because it was the whole, like, everyone was like, oh, but he's nice to me, which is such a thing that women have to go through sometimes with men. It's like, well, you don't know how he's like to me. Just because he's nice to you doesn't mean that my uh, experiences with him are like invalidated. You know, like that means that like you have something that he wants, which is why he's nice to you, hence Joyce. Yeah. But then if he's awful to me, you know. It's just hard because it's like we've just seen better representations of what they're trying to do. Um, in different episodes or even in this episode just with different characters that it's annoying to see so much time given to such an unnecessary character. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Agreed. Wow. I'm very proud of us. This is really good topic. Good job, <laughs> no, it guys. is. Yeah. You guys have had really, really good thoughts. I appreciate it a lot. I will say the one thing I'm thankful for, Kane, is like all these Giles frustration moments is so good. Like, Giles sticking up for Buffy. No, look, you look here, Mr. Kane. This girl risks her life trying to capture a beast Mm -hmm. you haven't been able to find. And then Kane, daddy's doing a great job carrying her bag of milk bones. And Giles slams the bag down, just glares at him. Kane, you know, Mm -hmm. sis, if that thing harms anyone, it's going to be on your pretty little head. I hope you can live with that. I love that line where she just goes, I live with it every day. Like, he doesn't even understand how she just put him in his place. But it's also a metaphor for Buffy's guilt over Angelus, um, especially since he's killing or about to kill Teresa. And then you also have the, all these people that have died or will die because of Angelus. I think Buffy has to deal with that fact that she didn't kill Angelus when she had the chance. So when do, so when he does kill people, is that on her, you know? And so I think that Buffy having to wrestle through that, just even on a daily basis too, not even when it comes to Angelus, like if she's like, man, I'm tired. I need to go home and sleep a little bit more tonight. And then and then someone dies because of a vampire attack. Like she still like carries that burden and that guilt, even though it's not technically, you know, her fault, but it's because Buffy has such a big heart. She still takes that on, you know, um, Giles still simmering. Pilk. Right. Let's move out. I also think it's interesting because Giles's definition of a werewolf is, um, you know, how they, they have no morals or emotions or conscience. And that's exactly what Kane is. He kills without morals or emotions or conscience. And so like, they're very much trying to make the distinction between like people that are just as evil as werewolves in quotations. 
All right, then we have that cool shot of the mist and the moonlight as the werewolf walks down the street. This is chilling. He smells blood. It comes across poor Teresa with Angelus over her, snarling. And I think it's very interesting that Angelus backs away and seems to not like werewolves. I Yeah, I don't understand. Was he scared of the werewolf? Did he recognize that the werewolf was Oz and that he wanted to pin it on Oz? Did, like, I just... Yeah. I was confused by this scene. I didn't really understand. It seemed like there was a reason why Angelus stepped back, but I just really missed it. Well, according to lore, and I think this is what they were kind of trying to go for, vampires and werewolves don't like each other at all. So I think it was just supposed to be like an, a, a glimpse of how they just hate each other. I don't know if Angelus was, like, afraid of the werewolf. I got the sense that he was just trying to dump Teresa's body so that as a present for Buffy, you know. So back at Lover's Lane, Giles is asleep in the car. Buffy hasn't seen any werewolves, which this was interesting because I think Buffy didn't see Giles in the car. And I think she thought that something happened to him and really, really terrified. Um, And then they hear the news announcer on the radio say that they found Teresa's body, which this really kind of reminded me of the episode before in Innocence when they're both in the car and how, like, guilty Buffy feels. Um, and Giles was like, no, like, we'll try again the next day. It's almost sunrise. Um, and then we have this scene where we see the werewolf asleep in the grass and then it morphs into Oz. So I, it's funny, when I was showing this episode to Abby, my sister-in-law, This was the first moment in the entirety of the show that she was like genuinely shocked. Like she was surprised. She had no clue that Oz was the werewolf. And she was like, what Oz is the werewolf? Like she could not believe it. It was like her first twist. And I was like, you like saw Angelus coming. Like you weren't surprised about Angel being Angelus. And all of a sudden like this is the moment. I just thought that was really funny. I feel like it's been a a good misdirect in this episode, but I wasn't floored when I saw him. Yeah. Like, yeah, I think that. I would not have, I would have been surprised if they didn't focus on him a little bit more this episode, Mm -hmm. but because they focused on him a little bit more, I was like, okay, that makes a little bit more sense, but it definitely is a really good twist. Well, especially because normally, like, when you introduce a character like Larry, you know, as we've said, they're either the victim or the villain. And in this situation, like, Larry is neither. And so, like, we didn't expect the werewolf to be one of the, like, regular cast members. It's it's really a very good twist. Um, and also his very, huh, is just, like, so Oz. It's perfect. But I will say, okay, so Oz acts like this was his first time waking up in the woods naked wouldn't he have woken up the night before like this? Why is he so surprised this night? I'm not really sure. Maybe he woke up in his house last time. Maybe he was drinking before. Maybe. So my my only guess is like maybe, maybe he did wake up in the woods and was like, wow, this is random. Like, and then, then the animal attacks thing started happening. He was like, huh, okay. And then when it happened at night, like the second night in a row, knowing that there was a werewolf that was out and about, he was like, okay, I got to be a werewolf. Because I mean, imagine if you wake up in the middle of the woods, like completely butt naked, you're not going to think, oh, I'm a werewolf. You're going to be like, um, who took my clothes? And how much did I drink last night? And, you know, was I assaulted, you know? All right. So Oz's house, Aunt Maureen, hey, it's me. And then he just asks outright if Jordy is a werewolf. Um, 
And then I love, uh-huh, and how long has that been going on? Uh-huh. Thanks. Love to Uncle Ken. Um, which, again, like, I think kind of gives us an insight into his family life. And then this next scene, I just feel for Oz because he's normally very stoic, normally kind of like has it all together. Um, and he just seems really shook as he's walking through the halls. And we actually hear like the werewolf um, noise from the introduction, like the intro song and everything. And I, I, I feel really bad for him because at that point, he's just all he knows is that, you know, there's been animal attacks and he's thinking, you know, have I killed anyone? Have well, I hurt I anyone? Say, I like that we don't see him super sensible and like calm and collective right here. Because like, as far as he knows, he may have just killed a couple people. Like, he has no recollection of what's been going on. And so I like that we see him more shook up, more in his head, because it gives more of a human aspect to him. Yeah, and it's very clear contrast between Kane, who's over there like, they're just animals, and I don't care, you know? Mm. So Buffy is very upset about Teresa's death, says that Kane was right, and she should have killed the werewolf when she had the chance. Which is really interesting, because Buffy is, you know... She obviously doesn't want to keep going through pain and guilt and is to the point where she's just like, all right, you know what? No more chances. I need to just, I need to stop. And I think that again, this is also like her kind of like an underlying, I should have killed Angelus when I had the chance to, um, Oz looks like he was prepared to tell the gang what had happened. Like when he was walking down the hallway, he kind of like made kind of like, okay, resolve face. I'm going to go talk to them and tell them what's happening. Um, hears and asks if anyone got bitten or scratched. And then hears that Teresa was killed by the werewolf and learns that there's another night of a full moon and his face. I feel so bad for him. And I just want to be like, no, Oz, it's not your fault. It's Angelus. He's setting you up. It's okay. Buffy, oh yeah, and believe me, I'm going to give that wolfie something to howl about. Oz asks if there's no way to tell who it is, to which Xander says that Giles knows stuff and he's practically an expert. And Willow's like, on account of you were once a hyena. Okay, what did you guys think of this scene? This pissed me off because we mentioned when we watched the pack Mm -hmm. that it was Mm -hmm. extremely immature and irresponsible of Xander, who practically sexually assaulted Buffy while he was yeah he was he was you know not himself but the bad part about it was that he didn't apologize he didn't own up he was a coward he just pretended like he didn't remember and Mm then Giles covered for him then they're in the library he has another opportunity to own it doesn't Giles says nothing and then what makes it worse is Buffy just kind of moves on like, yeah, nobody deals with nobody it. Nobody calls him out. Nobody says anything. Like, <sighs> I mean, I uh, I don't want to crap on his character a ton, but it's like, come on, this is not a small thing. Like, you hurt your friend, even if it was, you know, however long ago, it's still there and it's still painful. But this is also the second time where he's caught himself in that same situation from the pack so he says it and then she's like i thought you said you couldn't remember and then he goes oh shoot i said i couldn't remember or whatever he says and i'm like xander we all know you weren't xander yourself when you were trying to sexually assault buffy we all know that i'm not blaming you for that you were not your you are literally a hyena i'm mad at you for acting like it didn't happen and it still affected Someone who wasn't a hyena, who was actual Buffy. 
Yep. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's hard. I understand what they're trying to do in this episode. They're trying to, like, this is a continuation of everything that happened in the pack of, like, hey, boys will be boys. Like, you know, when guys, you know, they they don't control themselves when they have mm-hmm. all these urges and all this stuff. But the problem is this was a really good moment yes. to maybe address yep. that. And it would have mm-hmm. been an excellent payoff and it would have made the pack that much better of an episode mm-hmm. if we would all been like hey we can actually deal with the fallout and it looks like they were going to even like do you guys know giles in the background who normally like doesn't pay attention is like reading a book but as soon as xander starts talking about that giles kind of looks up and he actually walks into the room as if he's like is Xander going to fess up? Is he going to own up? Like, what is he going to do? If you watch Giles, he's standing there waiting for Xander. Mm-hmm. And then when, like, it gets brushed under the rug and Xander just, like, goes, the point is I have an affinity with this thing and kind of moves on. Giles gives him, like, this look like, I know that you know, but then moves on. And it's it's frustrating. But it's also annoying because we've seen Giles get mad and stand up for Buffy when characters are being blatantly misogynistic and it's like but how can you stand up for her towards characters like kane and not stand up for her towards characters like xander when he's doing crappy stuff like this to be fair giles might not even know the extent of what happened because when buffy came in she didn't tell him she you know so it could be that buffy's trying to protect xander as well knowing that like that's not everything yeah. that he was able to you know i just feel like control. why why bring it up why be self-aware and bring it up from season 1 to just completely not do anything about it i would have been happy if he if they even had not brought it up because by bringing it up makes you it, it exposes you for being aware that that was problematic of xander's character but then just to not do anything about it, I'm like, why would you bring it up then? Because now we yeah. all know that Xander's been thinking about it and has been keeping the same narrative this whole time. Gets caught, but then no one... Like, and the theme of the episode is this. And then for them not to call him out on it, I'm like, what What are you preaching in this episode? Like, It was a missed opportunity. Like, it was... I wouldn't even say it's a missed opportunity. I think it's like... (laughs) But, like, why even bring it in? That's not even like a, oh, it lended itself there. It was like, you didn't have to write that in. Well, then why did you write it in? Well, I think it was supposed to be... It was supposed to be another example of guys having secrets and being like emotionally repressed and how girls suffer for that. But it was a chance for them to be like, hey, let's learn from that and move on and grow. But it's like then, it wasn't. But then you have Buffy defending herself against Larry, but then you don't see Buffy saying or other people saying anything when Xander gets exposed. So, you know, it's just the, I don't know. The lines in this episode are just up and down and like, I'm like, why? Why show this portion of like of the metaphor and then not complete it in this area or just I don't know. It's very frustrating. Well, it the metaphor was complete, but they didn't show the consequences of the metaphor yeah. is the frustrating part. We wanted to see Xander pay for what he did, or at the yeah. very least have to be confronted with this. And unfortunately, apologize. This is just a, that's all we want. This is just a pattern of Xander. Okay, it's a pa- pattern of Buffy 
getting held accountable for things and having consequences for things that sometimes aren't even her fault. And yet mm-hmm. all of the other characters not really having to deal with their consequences or being held mm-hmm. accountable for their stuff. And it is frustrating because, you know, it's a very clear double standard. And I know, I know that's Joss and the writers trying to be subversive and be like, oh, we're going to, you know, constantly be critiquing our main character because, you know, it's edgy and cool. And it's like, well, why can't we hold all the other characters to the same standard? Yeah. Especially the episode beforehand where Buffy thinks it's her fault for turning Angel into Angelus, which is such like a deep, complex thought. And then you do stuff like this where you're like, of course, he doesn't get any consequences. Right. And you see that guilt carrying over to this Mm -hmm. episode where she's like, I should have killed him. I should have. Because she has Kane over there like saying the exact same thing Mm -hmm. that she's been telling herself. Well, and then seeing Teresa die. And like yeah. being reminded of that this whole time, and then being reminded of the yep. monster and and men, for lack of you know a, a phrase, and then yep. being reminded of Angel slash Angelus, and so it's like yep. she's constantly being reminded of something that I don't think is her fault, but she thinks it is, nope. and so because she's a moral yep. character, and then it's like I'm not mad at Xander for doing that because he was hyena. I'm mad at him for continuing to lie about it, and then just not. Like, Buffy's not going to be mad at him if she comes, if he goes up and says, like, I'm sorry, like, that wasn't me. Like, I really apologize if I hurt you. We can move on, you know? Yeah. And the, and, the, and some that brings up another point that I've been thinking about, too. And, like, I, again, I think that it's not just enough to not participate in crappy behavior. You also have to actively stand up against it. Yeah. And I think that, like... So this is not like, again, this was written in the 90s, so this is very progressive. But you see Oz not standing up against Larry. Yes, yes. I was thinking about that. You know, that. It's, yeah. he, he, he actively doesn't participate and he kind of tries to move things on, which good for him. But at the same time, it's like, no, you should be saying this is not cool. Like, I would have liked it if Oz had bent down and picked up the books for the girl. You know, mm-hmm. I know Larry does that at the very end. So I think they were trying to, like, not make Larry mimic Oz, but show that Larry was doing it out of, like, the goodness of his own heart and that he was a changed man. But it would have been nice to see Oz stick up for this girl. It would have been nice to see Giles stick up for Buffy or mm-hmm. even just say, hey, no, Xander, how about you tell us about what you remember or something like that. And so, again, I don't want to, like, be asking too much of the TV show for the time and everything. And, again, too, like, I know sometimes, like, in real – this is a TV show. But in, like, real-life situation scenarios, if I was in Oz's situation or in other people's, sometimes I just freeze. Like, I, I can't realize, like, what's actually happening in the moment. So, like, I don't know that I would, like, bend down and help the girl because I'd be like, whoa, like, did that seriously just happen? But in, like, in a world where you can control all your characters and you're writing it, like, how much better would it be to have a guy that actually, like, stands against what's happening and instead of just being like, oh, I'm just not going to be a part of it? Because then I think that, like, by not saying anything and removing yourself, in a way you're you're still complicit. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that's kind of like a, a – like, that can get kind of tricky – but when you are in absolute control of what your characters do in an episode, I think you still have a responsibility to write, especially a male character that stands against those things. Mm-hmm. Um, and it would have been nice to see that, especially from Oz, because I feel like we see that from Giles with Kane, but not so much with Oz. Um, and again, I love Oz. I think he's great. But yeah. Anyway, 
So Xander then decides to try and get into the wolf's head and says, wait a second, it's right in front of us. It's obvious who I am. And poor Oz looks terrified as Xander is staring straight at him. I know, Oz looks like he's about to pee his pants. He's like, oh my gosh. And it's funny seeing like so much emotion from Oz's face. Like it's not a ton, but it's more than what we normally see. Uh, Xander thinks it's Larry, mentions the bite and the excessive back hair. Oz feels bad that they suspect Larry. Like, you see the guilt on his face. Like, oh, I should I should be honest. I should tell them who I am. Um, Xander goes to confront Larry. Buffy mentions that she wants to hurt the werewolf and leaves to go with Giles. Um, and this is, again, not Buffy's fault. But, you know, every time she mentions things like this, it kind of makes Oz more resolved that he shouldn't tell them what's going on. Which I'm like, oh, no, Oz, tell them. So Willow asks Oz if he's okay, said he knew Teresa. Willow says, we can do stuff to help. Sometimes it feels good to help. And she's trying so hard to connect with him, but he's completely distracted um, by, what, by what he thinks he did to Teresa, or to Teresa, which is, it just makes a lot of sense. But all Willow's thinking of is her conversation with Cordelia, where she's talking about how Xander is like not all there all the time. And so in Willow's mind, she thinks that Oz is doing that exact same thing. And this, okay, this was just beautiful. Buffy sitting there and watching them from Giles' office, I really loved because, like, again, Sarah Michelle Gellar with the emotion that's being played on Buffy's face, you can tell that she hurts for her friend, Mm. and she also doesn't want to see Willow in a similar situation of her and Angel. And then we have this scene in the showers and the lockers, so... (laughs) I think it's funny how they play up Larry's going to die because every mm-hmm. time we've been in the showers and the lockers, like somebody has died. <laughs> yep. Well, this scene's also funny too because um, like Larry is getting like just a ton of screen time. Like yeah. just an un- like a really unnormal amount. And then he comes in and Xander's there, which first of all, I don't understand why they're all so comfortable just, like, having normal conversations in the locker room. Like, I'd yeah. be so uncomfortable with someone who would come and, like, need to shower or something. But the absolute miscommunication in this scene is hilarious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I also thought it was funny that Larry was like, Harris, geez, next time wear a bell, which is the exact same thing that Xander said he was going to get Angel when Angel, I think it was in some assembly required, when Angel just like keeps appearing and disappearing or I don't remember what episode it is. And Xander's like, I'm going to get that guy a bell. And I just think it's funny that there's like that that comparison there. Um, Xander, I know you're a secret big guy. I know what you've been doing at night. Larry, you know, Harris, that nosy little nose of yours is going to get you into trouble someday, like today. Xander, Hurting me isn't going to make this go away. People are still going to find out. Larry looks terrified, asks Xander what he wants to be quiet. Xander says, I don't want anything. I just want to help. Larry, what, you think you have a cure? Xander, no, it's just, I know what you're going through because I've been there. That's why I know you should talk about it. I think that it's so, so interesting that they put... Larry being gay, like that storyline in this episode that challenges the idea of misogyny and sexism because Mm -hmm. the whole idea that things that are masculine is like, you know, objectifying women, like being into women and being super buff and, you know, having this list of things that are quote unquote masculine and then you have this episode that is trying to not always doing the best, but trying to challenge what masculine, 
like what masculinity is, what sexism, misogyny can look like. And then you have this character that is trying so hard to appear as masculine, was viewed as very masculine, as a very manly Mm -hmm. man, is actually just putting up a front to not get flack. And I think that 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 was a really interesting storyline and a good way of looking at things. And at this point in the in the dialogue, you're like, okay, this is like they're not on the same wavelength. You can tell what's going on, mm-hmm. um, Larry. That's easy for you to say. I mean, you're nobody. I've got a reputation here, which is very similar to what Cordelia has been saying. Yep, 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 yep. I thought about that too. Xander begs him, saying someone else gets hurt. Larry says that if it gets out, that it's over for him, that he won't be able to play football and will have to get run out of town, which, okay, kind of going back to what Larry was saying about, you know, you're nobody, I've got a reputation here. I think people continuously and constantly saying this to Xander is very similar to what they said to him in Teacher's Pet. And I think that it perpetuates a stereotype that Xander buys into and is why he continuously is like, I have to appear manly or I have to have a bunch of sexual conquests or all this other stuff because I'm a nobody. And I like, you know, I I want to kind of maintain my rep or even like work my way up the social ladder. Um, So then Larry says that he's gay. Xander suddenly understands, but looks shocked Larry feels relieved to have said it out loud, said he never felt like he could tell anyone till Xander brought it out of him. Xander, it probably would have slipped out even if I wasn't here. Larry, no, because knowing you went through the same thing made it easier for me to admit. Um, and then Xander suddenly realizes what Larry thinks and tries to protest, but Larry isn't finished. So like the contrast here of, you know, Larry recognizing and being like, or at least Larry thinking that Xander is also gay, but also saying your secret is safe with me. Like Larry's actually very kind and very um, understanding to Xander and like not pressuring him in saying what he thinks he's trying to say, um, which is a complete 180 from how he's been the entire episode. And Larry, it's ironic. All those times I beat the crap out of you. It must have been because I recognized something in <laughs> you that I didn't want to believe about myself. <laughs> what a what a thing to say to someone. But also like very like observant about Larry because like you get the feeling that that might actually be something that Xander is also wrestling with too, that he, there's something about Larry that he recognizes in him that he didn't want to believe about himself as well. Um, so Xander says, Larry, no, I'm not. And Larry's like, of course, of course not. Don't worry. I wouldn't do that to you. Your secret's safe with me. We're and like Larry- starting to see some common decency from Larry. <laughs> We're like, what in the world is going on? So I will say like, it is nice to see a change in Larry, but I will say that is pretty unrealistic. Like the complete turnaround within just one day, I will say, I think that sometimes like it does take a little bit longer. It isn't something that just like happens. Well, you I'm know? trying not to be super skeptical, but I'm also like the only reason why he's being very empathetic is because he himself has gone through that. He thinks that like Xander is going through what he's gone through, therefore he can be empathetic about it. Whereas he's not a girl, so he doesn't know the trauma he's given all these other girls because mm-hmm. he hasn't gone through it. And I'm, I'm trying not to take away from the moment, but it's also like, okay, but that doesn't detract from like a lot of the crap really that you, yeah, yeah, really crappy, yeah. you know. 
So I understand that it's progressive, especially for the 90s. Right. But it's also a shame that it's kind of also detracted from because of how crappy Larry was in the beginning, even though I understand the point that they were going for. Right. And I think that sometimes they may have gone a little too far um, with the little Mm -hmm. things. I'm like, you could have still given us the same idea and thought without like being like, oh, he's going to look up my skirt, you know, things like that. I'm like, oh, (laughs) that's a little invasive. (laughs) Him literally groping her. Yeah. Well, they kind of made Larry just as overt as Kane, but they did the switcheroo at the very end and made him likable and actually kind. And so it would have, I think, maybe been easier to swallow if he wasn't so abrasive in the beginning. Yeah. And I'm excited to see, like, where his character goes, as if I don't know. Um, But, like, (laughs) you know, if, if he continues down the path, because if this is the beginning of his, like, redemption, then I'm all for it. Yeah. You know, if it's just a one episode off thing, I'd be like, okay. But like, if they do something with this character, then it's like, okay, cool. Like, I'm I'm here for the process of, you know, healing or the process of redemption. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Because it's hard because we've seen him in now two episodes, and yeah. he's been kind of a butt in both yeah. of those. And then the last like thirty seconds of the episode, right. he's suddenly nice. So it's like, you know, want to see a pattern. And maybe it'd be different if it was like Larry had been like a bully and been the sexual predator for like a whole season, but it's only been two episodes we've seen him in. So it's not like his character is lost on me, you know? Yeah. Mm. Yep. So Buffy asks Willow if anybody else fits the werewolf profile. Willow, there is one name that keeps getting spit out. Aggressive behavior, runs, ends with authority, about a screen full of violent incidences. Buffy's like, okay. I know. (laughs) (laughs) At first I was like, whoa, who are they talking? I'm like, oh gosh. It's Bobby. So they talk about how Oz is not there. Willow, Oz wanted to be someplace that was away from me. She's like, he's so hot and cold. Well, lukewarm and cold. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Buffy, welcome to the mystery that is men. They grow body hair. They lose all ability to tell you what they really want. Willow, that doesn't seem like a fair trade. Buffy encourages Willow to make a first move. Willow thinks that makes her a slut, which is just frustrating because Mm -hmm. it's like you can ask him out. Yeah. You can like, and that's, and that's the difference between like the nineties and now is mm-hmm. it's like, you can make the first move. Like there's no handbook that says he has to be the one to make the first move. I just always, I think of like the quote from friends where Phoebe, like Rachel's like, Oh, I don't want to ask him out. Doesn't that make me seem like desperate? And she's like, Phoebe's like, I do it all the time. She's like, that doesn't yeah. make me seem good. Does it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then, Oh yeah. The Willow says that she wishes that they could go back to, what is it, like, sixth grade. It'd be easier to tell if a boy liked you because he used to punch you on the arm. And then Xander comes up and then, like, says, hey, and, like, slaps Buffy's arm. <laughs> and that then Buffy was, gives him a look. Was writing. <laughs> Buffy, so how'd it go with Larry? Xander, what's that supposed to mean? He's not the werewolf. Can't you just leave it at that? Must you continue to push and push? <laughs> Buffy, sorry, I was just wondering, Xander. Well, he's not, okay? Buffy's like, okay. So Buffy again says that she feels guilty for not saving Teresa, then realizes that nowhere on the reports did it say anything about her being mauled, realizes that they had only assumed it was a werewolf, and Xander, what else should we assume? Excellent transition to the morgue. Buffy says vampire, pulls down her scarf, and you can see the bite on her neck. Which, okay, why is nobody there? Why is Teresa's body all by herself in the morgue? Is it like, I think it's kind of like an open casket type, like. Open it, house? It's prob- no, it's probably like an open. <laughs> Sorry, open, that's not funny. 
It's probably like an open funeral in a way where it's like people can come and buy through all throughout the day and kind of like look and say their goodbyes like in in private. Is that a thing though? Like all for the entire day? In the 90s, I feel like that was probably a thing. But also in Sunnydale, they're like, oh, got to go to another person's funeral. Let's just have it an open <laughs> there's, house. There's probably so many funerals and so many bodies just disappearing that they're like, oh, just go say goodbye. Yeah, we don't know how long the body will be here. That's yeah. awful. We don't know if we're even going to be able to bury it because it'll just probably disappear on us. So That's true. We'll Seriously. leave it out there. <laughs> the parents already said their goodbye. Goodbye, Teresa. We hope you're here in the morning yeah. so we can come bury you. No, oh, that's we awful. hope you're not there in the morning so we don't have to bury you. Maybe they have a one-day buffer where people can come and say goodbye to the body. And then if it's there the next day, then they have a funeral. Genius. Mm-hmm. That makes that's sense. That's it. And yet everyone's like, huh, I wonder what happened. Like we have some body snatchers around town. Yeah, like, and I think we've talked about this before, too. Like, yeah. if Could you imagine? Like, her body was missing. They're like, oh, is Teresa alive? Like, then they're forever looking for their daughter. Like, I don't know. But again, well, everyone knows. Know Sunnydale. Yeah. Everyone knows there's at least something that's happening, whether or not it's a vampire or something else, but they just ignore it. I guess so. Xander, so that's good, right? I mean, in the sense that the werewolf didn't get her and and then he trails off and says, no, there is no good here, which I thought that was a surprisingly sensitive moment. When Xander is sensitive, he is sensitive. And I notice, I notice that when he's with Buffy, he's not, Taffy's giving me dirty looks, but you know what I'm going to say. When he's with Buffy, he's not as distracted as when he's with Cordelia or Willow. Like he very rarely just like tunes out. Am I supposed to give him gold stars for that? Wow, no. you like someone, so you're going to be decent. It's because he's actually into Buffy, whereas with Cordelia, yep. he likes being with her because he gets a lot out of it physically and mm-hmm. because she's, like, pretty and everything. And he likes the idea of Willow, but Buffy he likes. Yeah, yeah to quote her dad, bingo. Um. <laughs> okay, and then... They talk about how, you know, Buffy was not able to protect Teresa. Xander, if it weren't for you, people would be lined up to get buried. Willow would be Robbie the Robot's love slave. I wouldn't have a head and Teresa's a vampire. Buffy and Teresa fight. And it's interesting that Teresa actually kind of almost takes over Buffy um, until, you know, Xander stakes her. And it's because Teresa rattles her. She says Angel Mm -hmm. sends his love, Mm -hmm. which this is... The beginning of Angelus Angel um, tormenting yeah. Buffy and well, playing this is with the her. First, this is the first kill that Buffy's been aware of that Angelus mm-hmm. has made. Well, and the so, uncle. Yeah, that's true. But I think this one's the most personal because it's mm-hmm. not like a, mm-hmm. oh, I'm killing someone to, to get information away from you. It's I'm killing someone to torture you because I know you're going to hate yeah. this. Well, and it's interesting, too, that like, Angelus finding out that she knows, like, Teresa knows Buffy, it was very much a, like, he probably already would have killed Teresa, but knowing that Buffy knew her, it was, hey, now I have a bigger plan for you. Yeah, it was, instead of killing you, I'm gonna sire you. Yeah, yep, and send you to Buffy with a message. Um, So Buffy says, this isn't happening and they hug. He said, and she says, he's going to keep coming after me. Xander says, don't let him get to you. He's not the same guy you knew. Which. What is with no, okay. this? No, 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 no. Props to Xander in this scene. Like, here's the thing. I know you guys are going to be all like, eh, it seems romantic. But in my mind, when I watch the scene, I think that 
It was really good of Xander to comfort Buffy and tell her the words she needed to hear in that moment. Instead of crapping on Angel, which is what he's done in the past two seasons and being like, you know, like, I told you so whenever he's like, Buffy, like, you you thought he was someone different. Like, he's giving Buffy credit and he's being there for her as her friend. Like, see, I don't, I don't disagree. I, I think that's good. It's just very hard with Xander because it feels like he is doing this because he wants Buffy, yeah. not because he's trying to be kind. And I'm but not I trying think to. That's your guys's bias, honest to God. Dude, I watched no every review I read. Everyone was like, "What the heck?" He's taking they advantage. He's taking advantage of her vulnerability in the moment, and I'm no. really no. Just hear me out. I'm really trying to be objective about him. I really am. I really am. I promise I am. Um, but this moment... You're like, I really hate him. I am. I am. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, gosh. Um, no, but this moment seemed very much like he knew what to say in order for her to be vulnerable around him. That's what it felt like. I'm not, like, it, when he was holding her and he was like, oh, you didn't know. Like, it just seemed very much like a... Like... Oh, gosh, I, I don't know how to word it well, but it's like it didn't seem like he actually was saying that to be nice. It was like she was vulnerable, and I think he liked the fact that she was vulnerable and he took advantage of that. I, here's the thing. I, I think that that's unfair to say that he took advantage of it because nothing happened. It would have been different if he kissed her. If he kissed her, then I would have been like, that was gross. But he didn't. Like He was just there for his friend. He said what she needed to hear. He was there for her. He was very sweet. And tr- and I don't like Xander either. And so I'd love to be like, this was a cruel scene. This was so gross. He was taking... But I, honest to God, think he was just being there for her as a friend. So I'm kind of in between you guys. So I don't think he was taking advantage of her. I think it's hard to watch the episode and not feel like there's an underlying like reasoning for his words. I feel like he genuinely was trying to be genuine in that moment. The thing was that it wasn't him that stopped the kissing. He stood there and waited and it seemed like they were going to, and Buffy's the one that walked away. I think if Buffy had continued and actually like moved in to kiss him, he would have absolutely kissed her back. Which Um, is valid for sure. It Mm -hmm. is valid. The thing is that we just, Saw him, like, Willow's still not 100% over him. Cordelia and him are still together. It's the third girl in the episode, so mm-hmm. it leaves a bad taste in my mouth. Yeah. yeah. And Buffy is in a vulnerable place. It's just hard because him saying he's not the same guy you knew is Xander trying to put distance between Angelus and Buffy. Mm. And it's it all goes back to the whole Jesse thing. You know, where what Giles told them in the beginning of... This is not the person that you knew. Jesse is gone. Jesse is dead. And so I think this is Xander subtly trying to tell Buffy, like, Angel is gone. This is Angelus. Yeah. Like, but move I think, on. But I, but I think that's a good thing to do. I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that Buffy no. does need to see the separation in Angel and Angelus. And I think that the little ways that her friends are trying to, like, help see like help her see that is a good thing and like i'm like i I, i'm not trying to like disagree with you guys or anything it's just that like i do think that sometimes like it is so easy to be like xander so obviously has a motive behind the scene but like sometimes i really do think that it is him just trying to be like a good friend and like yes he didn't he didn't pull like away but i also don't like 
maybe if they had kept kissing or like kept getting closer, he would have pulled away. Like we don't know. All we know is that it, it ended. And so it's like, at least from my vantage point, I didn't see anything wrong with what he did in this scene. I thought he was a good friend to Buffy and that's what she needed. It's very hard to not see an ulterior motive with Xander. And it's also hard because, I mean, what does he say at the very end? Oh no, my life's not too complicated. Mm -hmm. Xander knew something happened in that moment. Mm -hmm. And he also recognized that, man, now I have multiple girls that, well, not that Buffy's pining over him, but it was very clearly supposed to, it was meant to be a moment. Um, And it's just, it's, it's more frustrating because Xander is now leading on multiple girls. That's the thing that's frustrating. Not necessarily what he did with Buffy and what happened with Buffy, because I do think he was a good friend, but it's frustrating the sense that Xander just doesn't seem to know what he wants. Or it's just that he wants everybody, and I'm not okay with that, especially with how vulnerable Buffy is. But like, yeah, I... I forgot this moment and I was watching and I was like, holy crap, did they kiss? I was like, I don't remember this at all. I forget who posted on their story like a couple weeks ago. I think it was Bex. And she was like, what the F is this scene? And (laughs) it made me laugh so hard. Maybe it wasn't Bex, but it was someone that we're following. But it was so funny to me. And I was like, everyone forgets about the scene because we just ignore that it happened because it was not romantic on Buffy's side. She was like vulnerable but it just was like ew i even put that moment in there it was very odd it was very abrupt it was like what is going on um this is actually the first time xander stakes a vampire unaided so he staked jesse in the harvest but it was accidental because someone ran into him this is the first time he actively like stakes someone which is funny because we've seen now willow and giles do it but not xander so in the forest, we see Kane. He's making silver bullets over an open flame in his car. Like, how freaking dangerous is that? I, I don't understand. But I think that's just another metaphor of guys can be stupid. <laughs> no, I don't think it is. Mike, we don't read that much into Buffy. <laughs> it's yeah, like, right. I this know. is a deep-rooted metaphor. <laughs> Um, All right, so Oz's house, it's full moon. Oz is trying to chain himself up in his house. Is this going to work? Like, is his family just not coming home tonight? Like, what what is his plan here? Do you guys know? I don't know. I think it's probably his family's gone. Um, Willow knocks on the door. Barge is in. I had this whole thing worked out okay. I wrote it down, but it didn't make any sense when I read it back. Oz, Willow, this is not a very good time. Willow, what am I supposed to think? First, you buy me popcorn, and then you're all glad that I didn't get bit, and then you put the tag back in my shirt, but I guess none of that means anything, because instead of looking up names with me, you're alone, doing nothing, by yourself. (laughs) Poor Oz. He looks like he's trying to say so much to her, with even just, like, with his looks, and you can tell he wants to tell her how he feels so badly, but he's in pain, and he's afraid he's going to hurt her. Um, Oz, I know, I know it's me. I'm going through some changes. What, Willow? Well, welcome to the world. True. (laughs) Things happen. Don't you think I'm going through a lot? Oz, not like me. Willow, oh, what? So now you're special? She turns and walks into the room where Oz was trying to chain himself up before she came in. And she's like, you're a special boy with chains and stuff. Why do you have chains and stuff? (laughs) I'd be really alarmed if I saw that. I'd be like, I yeah. gotta go. Yeah. Oz doubles over in pain and begs her to leave and then falls on the floor behind a couch, starts to change. Willow tries to approach and then werewolf Oz pops up in full form. She escapes the house, climbs over a fence, and she totally picks up a trash can and 
wails Werewolf Oz right in the face, which I was like, wow. Kane happens to be coming down the street. Here's Oz's howl. All right, so in the library, Giles is loading a gun. Buffy comes in looking super determined and incredibly chic with that silver flared jacket. Like, I want it. She says, sorry I'm late. I had to do some unscheduled slayage in the form of Teresa. Giles is like, wait, she's a vampire? Buffy says, was Angel sent her as a token of affection? And it's interesting that Buffy continues to refer to Angelus as Angel. Like, she can't separate them. Mm-hmm. Um, Giles says, Buffy, I'm so sorry. Buffy holds up her hand. It's half a hand of pain. Like, it's not the full hand of pain. Mm-hmm. And she can't look him in the eyes. And you can tell she's trying desperately to hold it together. Like, if she looks at him, she's just going to break down. Says, not now, Giles. We can all have ourselves a good cry after we bag us a werewolf. Ugh, she's so strong. Mm-hmm. I know. I could not do this. No, seriously. Giles holds up the gun and aims. All right, so there's a continuity error here. So Giles is wearing glasses in this scene. No biggie, right? So then we cut to the forest scene. Willow's running away from Oz, wearing her bright yellow overalls. So she's, like, not going to be able to blend in at all. Um, Okay, back in the library. Giles is now not wearing glasses, which he could have taken them off. Still no biggie. But then, literally, in this scene, like, Four separate, four or five separate times, Giles's glasses go on and off, sometimes with, like, literal scene changes, like, as they're happening. Um, so Giles says, all set, let's go find this thing. Buffy says, one question, how do we find it? Willow bursts through the library doors. It's Which Oz. this was super convenient. Yes, it's Oz, the werewolf. Giles, are you certain? Willow, can't you just trust me on this? He said he was going through all these changes. Then he went through all these changes. So then the scene cuts to Buffy and Giles' perspective from Willow. Giles is suddenly wearing glasses again. Then Willow tells them he's in the woods. Giles says, let's go. Willow grabs his coat and begs them not to kill him. The shot changes again, and suddenly Giles is not wearing glasses again. He says, um, or Willow says, yeah, he's a werewolf. But he doesn't mean to be, which total like double meaning right there. Well, I was about to say, I was like, okay, but but what does that really mean? What are they trying to say right there? I think they're just trying to be clever, but it really doesn't make sense metaphorical. Like it it isn't consistent at all. No, it's not consistent with like the idea and the direction they're supposed to be going in. So it's like, okay, but he does crappy things, tries to kill people, but he doesn't mean to. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. Um, so then the shot changes again. Now he's wearing glasses. Buffy and Giles reassure her that they're not going to kill him, simply trank him. Giles is holding the gun, yet he still holds the door open for them. Such a gentleman. Um, the shot changed again, and they all leave the library. Only Giles isn't wearing glasses now. <laughs> so it, you guys should go back and look at some point. It's really funny how often they just swap back and forth. Um, so in the forest, Oz is lured into Kane's trap with fresh meat. Just as Kane is about to shoot, Buffy takes him out, attracting Oz's attention. Giles tries to shoot, but Buffy is in the way. She gets knocked into both Giles and Willow, but Willow recovers and grabs the gun, shooting the werewolf and knocking him unconscious. I shot Oz. <laughs> I like that it was Willow who shot mm-hmm. him, mm-hmm. just because it was like, if anyone was going to have to shoot him, I like that it was someone that, you know cared about him well also she uh did the first move was shooting him and kissing him <laughs> and going to his house she really did all the things that buffy told her to do she really nailed it to the coffin she's like all right i'm gonna do the first move with everything which i think is very 
it's hard because like they're trying to show how like girls have to take on the emotional burden of doing the first move and all this stuff because guys like aren't, which honestly I don't care who makes the first move, guys or girls. But I think there should be some a little bit of assertiveness on guys' part, being like, I know what I want, so I'm gonna actually like take an initiative and pursue what I want. It shouldn't all be left up to the girl. However, I do think this is a huge episode of growth for Willow because think about like the little wallflower she was back in I Robot mm-hmm. You Jane and how she is just coming out of her shell. She's being confident. She even like approached Oz back in surprise, you know, and was like, hey, I I like you kind of thing. And he asked her out on the date, but she was very proactive in asking him to like Buffy's surprise birthday party and stuff. So like we're watching Willow come out of her shell and I think that it's Really, it's really great to watch her character just growing. Kane stands up. No wonder this town's overrun with monsters. No one here is man enough to kill them. Buffy behind him holding his gun. I wouldn't be so sure of that. The way she looks at that gun as she's bending it, like, it's definitely a metaphor for her bending something else. Yeah, Let's just say that. 100%. <laughs> How about you let the door hit you in the ass on the way out of town? And Kane leaves. Bye, Kane. We will not miss you. Which, like, if that's all it took to get rid of him, she should have done that in the first scene. Yeah, totally agree. Well, I mean, now that he realizes that, you know, they're going to protect the werewolf, there's no reason for him to stay. Willow asks if Oz will be okay, Giles. He'll be a little sore in the morning, but he'll be Oz. Um, Interesting fact, a lot of people thought that Oz was going to be killed off in this episode. A lot of people thought that since there was this big reveal um, and because he was just a series regular that he was going to be killed and they thought that it was going to be Willow that was going to have to either she was going to kill him or they thought that Kane was going to kill him and Willow was going to have to watch Oz die at the end of the episode. And it would not it's be too early. <laughs> no, but it wouldn't be like right after Innocence, which is a heart wrenching episode. I feel like Buffy usually is pretty good with like balancing. balancing. Um, and usually you can tell when things are building up. Um, but I mean, this is one of the better filler episodes because there's a lot more stuff that's being, you know, informed. But also the vibe of the episode is off. Like, mm-hmm. like it, it's a different. I don't know how to explain it. Like, people who have seen Buffy know, people who have seen other shows know, there's a different vibe when you know something's going to happen. Even if it's lighthearted, if it's perfectly lighthearted, usually something will happen. But if it's like one of those lighthearted, but there's still some themes going on, it's like a normal filler Buffy episode, you're probably fine. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it probably had a lot to do with the fact that people still wanted Willow and Xander to get together. And so they were mm. kind of waiting for Oz to get killed off mm. or whatever because they're like, okay, now they can, you know, start that getting together. But yeah, I just think that's really interesting that people were thinking that. So back at school, Xander and Buffy are walking the halls. Buffy's outfit is so cute. Like every single one of her this outfits is my favorite. This episode. So cute the blue top i my favorite With the color brown so pretty my favorite color on buffy and she rarely wears it is like the really bright baby blue she looks stunning in it that and lavender she barely wears those colors but when she does she steals steals the scene yeah, the skirt with, like, the little slit and the boots. Yep. It felt like something Cordelia would wear. Mm-hmm. 
Larry comes down the hall and um, a girl drops her books. Is it the same girl? Yeah, I think it's the same girl. Maybe. And he and he does it. It's not like in a, oh, I'm going to go over there and help her. He doesn't even really notice it. He walks by. He's like, oh, here you go. Helps her with her books and then continues on. Like he, he barely thinks about it, which I think is major growth. Well, it's interesting too because it's his old cronies that knocked the book out of her hands. Oh, I didn't and notice that. Larry doesn't even recognize them, and it's uh, it's interesting too because they also put him in his like, um, uh, what's the jacket that they Leatherman wear? Jacket? Sportsman jacket. Leatherman. Yeah, his Leatherman. Yeah, and kind of showing like, hey, he is still masculine. He mm-hmm. is still a guy. Still the same person. And yeah, he's still the same person, but he doesn't have to be, you know, chauvinistic yeah. and, you know, leer at all these girls. Um, I also think it's really interesting that Buffy and Xander are right next to the vending machine, which, which is, is where the same he place. tried beating Xander yep. up. Yeah. Yep. Yep. It's a completely different conversation. Larry goes, Hey, Xander, look about what you did. I owe you. And Buffy's like, What did you do? And Larry doesn't even act like Buffy's there. And this is complete 180 from before where he like, you know, Mm -hmm. just leered at her constantly. Xander, it's really nothing we should be talking about ever, Larry. I know, I know. It's just, well, thanks. He touches Xander's arm. Xander looks incredibly uncomfortable, which, okay. But like, just because a gay guy talks to you doesn't mean he's attracted to you. You know what I mean? So it's like, it's frustrating, like Xander's mm-hmm. like uncomfortableness with it. It's because it challenges Xander's masculinity now. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Xander, what it's, or Buffy says, that was weird. Xander, what it's not okay for one guy to like another guy just because he was in the locker room with him when absolutely nothing happened. Yeah, you he sound worse, Xander. Yeah, that makes yeah. it sound it so it sound much so weirder. Creepy. Yeah. And Buffy's like, all I meant was that he didn't try to look at my skirt, Xander. Oh, yeah, that's the weirdness. He's so, like, the most, I find that insecure people typically, like, think that everybody's thinking about them way more mm-hmm. yeah. than they actually are. Buffy says, weirdness abounds lately. Maybe it's the moon. It does stuff to people. Xander, I've heard that. Buffy, it'll certainly put a strain on Willow and Oz's relationship. They both look at Willow walking by looking really sad, which it's just precious the way that Buffy cares about Willow and Oz because I think she sees a lot of her own relationship and she doesn't want Willow hurt like she's been hurt. Yeah, well, Willow doesn't deserve the pain. Not that Buffy does either, but like... I think she just sees Willow as such an innocent. Yeah. Xander, what relationship, I mean, what life could they possibly have together? We're talking obedience, school, paper training. Oz is always in the back bearing things that breed can turn on its owner. Buffy says, I don't know. I see Oz as the loyal type. Oh, you know she's thinking of Angel. Mm-hmm. Xander, all I'm saying is she's not safe with him. If it were up to me, Buffy, Xander. It's, it's not, not up, up to, to you. you. She said, shut uh, up, Xander. Uh, <laughs> but it's good because as much as I love Willow, Willow should have told this to Xander when Xander was talking about Angel. Yes, I was and just so about to say that. Buffy is doing what she would have wanted people yes. to do for her, for Angel. She's sticking yes. up for her friend the way she would have wanted someone to stick up with her. Not that it is on Willow to constantly like hold everyone accountable. I'm just saying that... like. Buffy is really, truly being a good friend because she's giving Willow the chance to live and be happy the way that she got to be happy with Angel. Yep. Yep. No, absolutely. Oz's outfit is so fashionable. He has like that white button up and it looks so like such good soft material. He looks so good. 
He's like cool guy vibes for sure. I okay. Uh, Oz changes his hair color a lot in the show, and mm-hmm. my favorite look is his like really really dark brown hair. I think it looks I like so his red. good. I, I do like too, but I love. Love the dark brown. And he has a little earring. I was like, why am I so attracted to Oz right now? (laughs) Oz is so cute. Their whole scene together is so sweet. Yeah, Oz says that he spoke to Giles, who said he'll be okay. He just has to lock himself up around the full moon. Only he used more words than that. And a globe. Willow apologizes for shooting him. And Oz is like, it's okay. I'm sorry I almost ate you. (laughs) Willow, it's okay. I kind of thought you would have told me. Oz, I didn't know what to say. It's not every day you find out you're a werewolf. That's fairly freaksome. It may take a couple of days getting used to. <laughs> More than a couple days know, for the average person. You know he means it too. Like, you know it's not him mm-hmm. being like, oh, it might, you know, making a joke. Like, you know he's being like, eh, it might take like a week. Or even just yeah. him waking up after like him being a werewolf. He's like, huh. You think yeah. that that would like literally make sense to just give him two days and he'll be like, yeah, I guess I'm our werewolf. And <laughs> He's like, on. all right. <laughs> and then they're at the same place that they had their talk in um, surprise. He's sitting on the mm-hmm. picnic bench. They walk together. Oz suggests that he should stay out of Willow's way for a while. Willow says, I don't know. I'm kind of okay with you being in my way. Oz, you mean you'd still... Willow, well, I like you. You're nice and you're funny and you don't smoke because boys and girls, only vampires and bad guys smoke. (laughs) And werewolves are not vampires if they're Oz. Yeah. (laughs) They're not bad guys. But he also says you're quite the human, which is Mm -hmm. like an interesting phrase because it's like Mm -hmm. at this point he's no longer like just human. So it's funny Mm -hmm. that he says you're quite the human. I think he's just kind of pointing out her purity as like a person. But it's not just like a, oh, you're a good girl. It's mm-hmm. like a, you're a perfect, like, you, I love who you are as a human being. Yeah, it's very layered. Just such a sweet phrase. And she's like, oh, I'd still if you'd still. And he says, I'd still. I'd very still. They're so sweet. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Willow, okay. No biting, though. He's like, agreed. So Willow smiles and walks away. Oh, my gosh. It's Seth Green's ability to communicate mm-hmm. with just his face. Mm-hmm. He watches her, and you could tell that, like, he cares for her so much, but he turns back just in time for Willow to give him a kiss. So and he cute. looks so smitten, so smitten. And he says, a werewolf in love, which so could be so cute. cheesy, but him saying it but we're just here makes for it, it sound so Seth cool. Seth saying anything is like, I'm like, yep, it's not cheesy. He's just oh a my little gosh. cutie. Like, ugh. And him as a person, he is, his purity of heart is Oz. But he doesn't speak like us, which is funny. But it's just like when I see it, I just don't – I just see Seth Green too. I'm just like, oh, you're just such a precious yeah. human being. I love him. Well, and it's it's sweet because just an episode before, he's talking about how when he kisses Willow, he wants her to be kissing him mm-hmm. and that he's willing to wait. And the fact that she goes and actively kisses him she made the move. shows – yeah, she was ready. She knew she knew what she wanted. And I think that's one of the cool things from like the beginning of the episode where Will is frustrated that he's not making the move, saying that like she's ready. And so the fact that like it's like, yeah, then go make your move. If you feel like you are ready, you are at that place. And I think that's what Oz is waiting for. He's waiting for you to be so sure of your feelings of him that you go and you kiss him. 
Ah, so cute. Um, Seth Green and Allison Hannigan appeared as boyfriend and girlfriend in the movie My Stepmother is an Alien. And they're so teeny tiny. It's the best. I think I'll probably post it on Instagram because it's just, it's adorable. She wears like a, a, like a white fluffy dress. It's very 80s. Uh-huh. And she's like brown hair. And he looks exactly the same. He has braces. But just shorter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. the cutest. It's very cute. Uh, yeah. I was pleasantly surprised. I think it was not as, like, loose of an episode metaphorical-wise mm-hmm. as Bad Eggs. But it was not as tight as some of the other ones. But I think it would – it did what it needed to do. I think it, it did a really good job of – um like showing Oz from a more layered point of view and the rest of the cast and stuff. I think the pacing is a bit off because of Kane. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Kane is underused, but I think it was a great episode to get into Oz's psyche and maybe even Xander's. One of the things that's really interesting is the contrast between Oz and Angelus because Angelus is kind of the poster boy for predatory aggression and lack of a conscience. And yet, there's Oz over there who like, cause you know, vampires, you know, are able to kind of control their impulses if they really wanted to. I know they're evil, but as a werewolf, when Oz is fully in his werewolf form, he's not able to control himself at all. And so I think it's interesting that Oz is able to control himself, even though his, ca- his counter ego or not counter ego, alter ego. That's what it is. Even though his alter ego can't. So I don't know. What'd you guys think of it all overall? It's good. It's better than I remember it being. Um, I enjoyed a lot of the aspects about it because I haven't seen it a ton. Um, I mean, it's not like my favorite episode, but it's not by any means bad. I enjoyed watching it. It's it's honestly a very thoroughly enjoyable episode to mm-hmm. watch. There isn't like there is obviously when we talked about there is a lot to diagnose, but there's not like you know, so many moving parts going on, but it's just a very well-paced and enjoyable ep- episode, and there's mm-hmm. a lot of very sweet moments. Yeah, totally. I agree. I think it, it fits really well. I think this could have been a very deep topic in a bad way right after such heavy episodes, and I think they handled it well. Um, and it's just exciting to see Oz actually having a more active role in the gang, you know? So... All right, guys, that's phases. Let us know what you think. Um, you guys can email us at becomingbuffypodcast at gmail.com, or you can find us on Instagram at becomingbuffypodcast. We want to know what your guys' thoughts are in this episode. Have a great week, guys. <laughs>